hello, hello. Please let me know if y'all can see me and hear me. That way I know I'm not just talking into the void by myself. <laughs> if anybody's there. Um, hope you're all doing well today. It's so good to see you. It looks like we're live, at least in one place. Let me make sure we're live in the other place. Yes, we are. Okay, great. Welcome, one and all, to another episode of Lore Beards. And while I pull up the thing I'm going to have to pull up here, uh, I'm going to let Andy talk for just a second. <laughs> <clears throat> Hello, like Cetra the Imperishable, like that ancient tomb king of tomb kings who had ruled for altogether far too many years, centuries ill-measured by normal mortal man. Today I arise like the undead themselves. I am not frightfully well, but I am nevertheless here because there is no way on earth I'm missing out on Setra action because Setra is arguably one of the coolest characters in the entire setting and also enormously influential in a way that most of the writers both forget about and then write about really <laughs> heavily whenever they discuss him. They somehow manage to say he is both the complete dog's bollocks to drop on a good old UK phrase and then withdraw and say, and then of course, Nakara was over there doing stuff for several centuries. What? Um, so I'm really looking forward to a certain thing occurring. I'm about to bring it up. Oh, it's so heavy. It's so heavy. Ah. Oh, oh, yes. Oh, oh, yes. All the big bucks. All the big bucks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really looking forward to Setra getting his, well, his due. And um, finally, hopefully, getting a lot of extra detail. Now, admittedly, the old world is almost certainly going to be concentrating on the old world. It's going to be mostly discussing the then and the there of the whole thing. And that's cool, because hopefully, through the course of those discussions and all the extra lore that they add, it will also bleed into both the future and the past of this particular character we're going to be discussing today and exactly how they represent. But, much more importantly... Look at this fucking thing! <laughs> <laughs> now, I have purposefully not opened it in the same way that good old Sotek purposefully has opened and devoured everything so that we've got ourselves a nice disparate um, version of how things go on. So on his side, things are very much Dread Kingy. On my side, they're very much Witch Kingy when it comes to <coughs> Malekith. Oh, is that earlier? <laughs> Malekith. Or however you wish to present these things. Marvel character? <laughs> no, 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 he's Warhammer. Is, 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 wasn't he? What? So um, we are uh, uh, in a slightly different place this week, which is super fun because uh, Sotek's done all of the reading over there. So he's going to be bringing in some extra details, which for me are going to be super exciting too, because I've purposely avoided them up to this point. I'm going to be devouring my box and books over the course of this week. Yes, but there is something very important we have to start with first. Something that whenever you talk about Cetra, you have to go over because it's contractually obligated and there's no getting around it. Yes, it is. Which is that we need to understand who precisely we're talking about. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So buckle up as I <laughs> try as rapidly as I can get through this brief opening. So tell me, Mr. Sotek, exactly. Who is Cetra? Oh, mighty Cetra, 
The great king of Nahakara, the imperishable, Kimrikara, king of kings, opener of the way, wielder of the divine flame, punisher of nomads, the great unifier, commander of the golden legion, sacred of appearance, bringer of light, father of hawks, builder of cities, protector of the two worlds, keeper of the hours, chosen of Patra, high steward of the horizon, sailor of the great Batay, sentinel of the two realms, the undisputed, begetter of the begat, Scourge of the Faithless, Carrion Feeder, First of the Charnel Valley, Rider of the Sacred Chariot, Mighty Lion of the Infinite Desert, Lord of the Shifting Sands, He Who Holds the Scepter, Great Hawk of the Heavens, Waker of the Hyrotitan, Monarch of the Sky, King of the Shifting Sands, Champion of the Gods, and many, many more. Yeah, I, I freaking love Cetra. He's um, a great character, and I'm really looking forward to doing um, a deep dive into exactly who he is i do have one other thing we're going to say before we begin though in fact we've got two other things we're going to say number yeah. one is um last week we really kind of enjoyed just having a certain amount of space for us to chat through all of our various lorry goodies um however we felt that as the su super chats came in many of them were forgotten by the time we brought them up at the end so we're going to do somewhat of a compromise this week and we're going to see how it goes in that we're going to finish each of our sections and then bring up our super chats have a little chat to see where everybody's at and then we'll dive back into each of our sections again so before we begin we have already had two super chats uh -oh. <laughs> number one <laughs> Not very impressed, etc. His volleyball Whoa. game is terrible. He can't even serve. Yeah, no, he, he has a very strict way of playing. <laughs> <laughs> good one. That was a good one. <clears throat> As you will find out later. And Sean Schultz. Uh, oh. Yeah, uh, uh, real quick. Biofoot. Uh, no, I'm not doing Rap God Speed. I like my tongue where it is, and it's going to fall out if I do it like that. How many titles does he have? So... We don't know how many are not written, but what we do know is that the Harold Nakoff, who probably has a bit of ceremony to the way he talks when he talks about Cetra's titles, it takes him two hours to yeah. get through all of Cetra's titles. Uh, like he's he's timed it to a really solid two hours. So, yeah. you know, it takes him a hot bit, but uh, it's not quite uh, it's ridiculously long. But, you know, it's not like it's rising setting of the sun levels long because uh, he was mortal when he memorized the list. <laughs> Uh, Cetra may not surf, but Kalia hangs 10. The that she does. And Zar94, yes, thank you for sponsoring the read-off of uh, Cetra's very many titles. We appreciate it. Thank you all very much. So, uh, let's get into some really, really fun discussion. Uh, I will say I'm very pleased that I only got about maybe an hour and a half to two hours of sleep last night because I just was going through all the old world. This is uh, going to be quite the stream. Yeah, I'm I'm mostly here. Um, <laughs> but, um, it, there's a lot of really interesting things to, uh, discuss about the setting though. Luckily, the good news is that they didn't change a lot. They more just kind of added to what we already have, which is really good because otherwise this would be a much messier discussion. So we're going to start with kind of setting the stage of what led up to Setra in the world, mm -hmm. which is, of course, the land of Nehakara itself. Uh, Nehakara is this desert kingdom that used to be very different than it is now. Where, you know, now it's known as the land of the dead, and it's a horrible place where very few things living are. But back in the day, it was, in many ways, the cradle of civilization. It was a bountiful land that had the great river, uh, Vite River, that just brought life to all these beautiful waters down from the mountains, and it's a huge river. It's absolutely monstrous in size. And 
civilization cropped up all along this river and these there are many tribes of humans that according to some legends came out from the southern jungles or maybe they were created from uh by the gods themselves within that desert area some say they came from the eastern side of the mountains um it's not uh some say they came from somewhere a little further north it's not exactly know where they came from though most evidence suggests they came from the jungles and these humans uh were nomadic for a time but eventually set up a series of cities that as they grew in power and influence and they started to worship a pantheon of desert gods, who we'll talk more about later, their power and influence began to grow to such an extent that they became city-states. And each of these city-states expanded and expanded and expanded until they started bumping into one another. And the reason the land is called Nehekara uh, as a nation is because there's a guy named Nehek. Uh, mm-hmm. who you may have figured that out because there's things like the invocation of Nehek. Uh, he gets mentioned in a lot of different places. And Nehek is a very fascinating character who does not get as much coverage as I wish he did. And the only thing we really know about him is that he was a very prominent king from the city of Kimri. And Nehek rose up and he looked around this land and decided, you know what? I deserve to be in charge of everything. <laughs> And so he walked around and he beat the crap out of all of the other cities. And whenever he would defeat their monarchs, he would take their crowns and he would have their crowns broken down and assimilated into his own crown. And so over the course of many years, he conquered all of what we know as Nehakara, including the lands uh, across the World's Edge Mountains through what was known then, uh, what will be known later as the Valley of Kings and then much later as the Charnel Valley. And he made his optimus prime crown by assimilating all of the other crowns and that is now known as the crown nehekara because it was uh it's kind of assimilated from all these different pieces to demonstrate that he was the big boss he was the king of kings not simply just a king and ever since that day kimri is often known as the city of kings because whoever rules there just like nehek did is often understood to be the king that rules over all of the others now how much power that said king has over all the others is a little more nebulous. Um, sometimes it's been a little more of a title as opposed to like an actual form of authority. But uh, as we'll get into later, there is someone who took that ceremonial title very seriously. A little bit too far. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll add a couple of extra outside contextual details as well, because it's always worth trying to ground the lore into all of the other details that kick out there too. So first thing first, um, it's generally perceived or discussed in various Warhammer texts that humanity, that humans are a young species that have just arisen, have somehow just appeared uh, a later date as these older species um, have ruled the world for many, many millennia. It's not necessarily the case when you look back at Nehekara, because Nehekara starts not just its founding, but starts existing thousands of years before Sigmar's even on the scene. A good 2,500 is when Nehekara is together largely as one thing, but there's the overall land of the gods that apparently it was before. We're talking centuries before that as these cities rise. So we're talking almost 3,000 years, possibly further into the past, before Sigmar has even come on the scene. This is a proper 
ancient civilization. They are arguably as old as, or perhaps just slightly younger than the what becomes the Grand Empire of Cathay. Um, Grand Cathay over there. Mm -hmm. And that's also, it's worth noting, a human empire. So there is already this feeling that the elder species aren't necessarily that much older when you put it all into context. And it is also worth adding and restressing for when we come to it later. Um, Nehekara is very much one of those places that is grounded in worship, that is grounded in the mm. gods, and they very much believe that the gods walked in their blessed lands as mortals and handed those lands to them. They believe that the gods themselves warred against the chaos gods way, way back when and then lived there and gave it to their children. In many respects, you can almost see Nehekara as some sort of human version of Ulthuin, for those of you who have done your Ulthuin elven mm. lore. It is very similar, the stories that they tell. And of course, all of the gods are a bit different and all of the individual stories are a bit different. But if you just zoom out and look at the overall picture, it's super, super similar. And that's fascinating for those of us who are trying to pick apart the lore and try to figure out why things are the way that they are. So looking at Nehekara, some outside as well as all the cool details we're about to drill into, because my goodness, Setra's got some pretty damn awesome ones. Um, yes, he it, um, he, he's super cool. It's well worth doing because we are talking about a character who has started 2,500 years before Sigmar's around and will be there right till the freaking end. Yeah, and two things to really add on to that to really drive home is that, yeah, Setra begins his reign um, and, like, unifies Nehekar really around 2,500 years before Sigmar. But you have to remember that Nehek, who united, like, the original Nehekara, was hundreds of years before that. Like, he's yeah, already yeah. a legend by mm -hmm. that point. Which means Nehekara, like Andy says, probably been around since about 3,000 years before. That's... At that's least... That's before the um that's before the sundering. Like that's how old this human nation is. It yeah. is crazy old. And I will say I do appreciate very much that the old world lore goes out of its way to enshrine the Hekara as the first and greatest human civilization that is purely human. <laughs> no dragons, <laughs> no, dwarves, no, dragon. no elves, <laughs> ju just the Hekards. <laughs> just just guys. Um, and then the last thing is that the the whole note about the Nehekaran gods is super freaking interesting in that the thing about Nehekaran myth that's so bizarre is that a lot of people, when you hear Andy, what Andy just said, you may think to yourself, oh, clearly they're talking about when like chaos showed up and like there were demons everywhere that the Nehekaran gods walked out and fought and did all this stuff. But in some of the stories, no, it's before that. Like there was an age of darkness that the Nehekarans talk about that then Thra, the sun god, and all of his pantheon showed up, and they ruled over what we know as Nehekara and lived there physically for a long time. Mm -hmm. And then there was a big war that brought out between the demons. So, like, there was a whole nother epoch in there that's not accounted for. It's a really, it's a really interesting mythology um, that the Nehekarans have kind of built up. And just the Nehekaran gods, we'll talk about them more later. They're super weird and super fun. Because they're kind of this weird fusion of almost like, oh, are they like a human interpretation of the old ones? Or are they a human interpretation of the elven gods? And they're kind of both, yeah. uh, which is really interesting. Um, but we'll talk more about them later. But so let's get 
caught up on some super chat goodies here. I'll bring it up for you there. Yes, uh, very excited for the stream. You guys, what do we think of the Cubicle 7 announcement that there's going to be an old world tabletop RPG game? I wonder if more background lore will be fleshed out in it. It's a really interesting announcement. I, I, I'm excited, but I honestly don't know what to think, to be honest. I'm curious what the system will be because it, it would feel silly to just make it fourth edition, but in a different time. Um, I feel like it might be more exciting to make it a genuinely different system. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm I'm honestly shocked that Games Workshop gave the go-ahead on that, considering I don't think there's a Horus Heresy RPG game. I think it's just 40K, right? Well, 40K's always had multiple role-playing games. I mean, it's got a couple of them right now, both of which are handled by Cubicle 7. Um, and back when it was handled by Fantasy Flight Games, there, there was also multiple games um, for 40K. So the idea of multiple games for the same setting isn't entirely new, particularly the tackling different things. The, the big one here is that really all we have is a different timeline. So it's, I think, a really good um, opportunity to effectively make a fifth edition of Warhammer Fantasy roleplay and streamline everything out and hopefully not Mm. carry the baggage that Warhammer Fantasy roleplay carries. Because Warhammer Fantasy roleplay is a game that has a strong and long legacy that was really badly, uh, let's say, attacked by the third edition of the game because it went so different than direction to the first and the second edition. And the fans rebelled in some places and others were upset. So I think given it's got a completely different name, it's a completely different position, they could actually go to town with this and create something interesting. Yeah, that's a really good point. Like they they'll really be able to tell a story just their own and explore yeah. some places. Um especially because like I really hope we get a border prince book. Uh because the border princes are so central to what's going on at the start of Old World. A uh, border prince book would be super fun. Um, although whenever someone brings up the border princes, um, I will say every single time they've got the Kiprian road on their border prince map, but they don't have Kipris, which is where the That's Kiprian road That's is named. Oh stream. my goodness! Um, but yes, I think that would be super fun because um, the previous border princes book, which came out for the second edition of Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, wasn't about the border princes. It was about creating your own border prince kingdom. Um, so it had very little actual detail. And I think that obviously the old world starting there, it's going to be adding a lot of detail. One of the great joys of role-playing games is they do what battle games can't. They provide what it's like to live there, what actual a day-to-day business is like so that the GM can then portray it. So you get a wealth of really fascinating extra facts. So I will here's say, hoping that all happens. The, the magic system is probably going to be super interesting because there's no yeah. colleges of magic. So it's going to be pre-A-Win. And, and elven, elven dominance of magic, as it's understood by many of the realms in the old world, just hasn't happened yet. So we've got all manner of witches and craziness. Or we have something else. It depends on what the old world eventually uh pins it down onto yeah moving on uh anthony finally caught a live stream again also question will spotify podcast be updated with uh, uh, recent streams from december mm. yes Let me just uh, put a note on that i one. i have all the ones that we did on my channel up <laughs> let me just sort that out i got l over december yeah, really yeah. L. Um, well, i will i will get them up soon yep yeah so uh, i'll mark that now uh, Cole Patterson in Herodotus's writing, there is a sorry if I mispronounce that. Uh, there is a tale yeah. of the Pharaoh uh, Sesotris, who is said to have conquered as far as Ethiopia, Thrace, Scythia, modern Ukraine, and Arabia. Could this story have inspired Setra? Yes, probably. Uh, that that seems very likely. Also, considering that doesn't seem terribly far from Setra. Yeah, <laughs> and um, Shop, like I always that. thought that it did. Um... I'm not sure if it did because I didn't um, write or speak to the writers about this one specifically, but yeah, I always thought it did. 
<laughs> Thank you, Morton Crescent. They're just these guys, those neck Karns. You know, they're just, they're just they're just normal men. Uh, Necker players. <laughs> for the episode, mind briefly talking about how Cetra's. Oh, okay, this is actually a fun thing. Mind talking mm. about how Cetra's character has evolved over editions. Um, so honestly, mm. the funny thing about Cetra is, despite the fact that he was initially introduced super long time ago, like third edition, fourth edition, he's old. Uh, back when the they were just undead legions, like you just fourth had edition. undead. Um, there was no like Tomb Kings kind of sort of existed, but there wasn't like the separation until way later. And Cetra has been around that entire time and was just kind of a he was just kind of a scary, big, bad world conqueror. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's he has evolved significantly back when he was introduced in the fourth edition of the game for the undead army list. Um, Cetra was given a little bit of a history. He was dropped in as a special character and he wasn't all that. Um, he was just the Tomb King of Tomb Kings who was raised by Nagash's magic. So this will change significantly in terms of how it eventually uh, un reveals itself. As Nagash got defeated by Alcadazar, Setra then went about taking on all the other Tomb Kings and rose above them. Um, this story would be massively inflated over the course of the editions <laughs> to begin with he's just someone that nagash brought back who kicks in all the rest of them later on oh my goodness cetera is something significantly bigger as we'll go on to say so basically as is often the case between the editions what has happened is they've gone hey somebody wrote an eight I'm now going to add plus three to that. It's now 11. Turn everything up to 11. Oh, hell yes. Every single last special character just has that little extra dial push. And Setra in particular is a character who didn't just have dial push put on him. He also had significant lore push as he became effectively responsible for much of what the Warhammer world would eventually become. Just as a small detail here. Note the idea of the King of Kings from Kemri. Note the idea of separate city-states. This is something that becomes reproduced by different groups across the old world again and again. Sigmar repeated this. There's many, many suggestions that the peoples of the empire, several of them came across the world's edge mountains. Some of them were probably of Nehekaran stock originally. And one of them in particular, the Ostermarkers worship a god of death more, almost more exclusively than any other. And again, there's that strong rep possibility that they themselves carry old blood from Nehekaran. But old traditions from the Hekara have popped up in the Empire of all places, in Pretoria with its king over all of its dukes. Basic traditions are, that were put in place by the Nehekarans a long time ago are reproduced by other human states and indeed others. But you get that feeling that it was given to them because the dwarves do the same things. The elves do the same things. It's almost as if the old ones had a plan. <laughs> um... Matthew Lowry, uh, love the lore for fantasy. Thank you both. Andy Lawhammer vids have been giving some of the only serotonin I have had while finishing up my master's degree. So tech, you kill and you nerd out on lore proper. You don't don't, don't tell people what I do in my personal time. <laughs> <laughs> the police can't find out. <laughs> but, but thank you. Uh, we really appreciate that. I'm really glad you're enjoying Lawhammer. It's an awesome show. Um, uh, and then Cole Patterson. Well, Cetra's name is probably just Set Plus Raw, right? That that is also very likely the case. <laughs> Um, almost certainly. That feels um, like Games Workshop level creativity right there. <laughs> Ouch. Uh, <But> yeah. <laughs> when it comes to names, when it comes to names, I'll, it's it's like if it's not a pun, it's gonna be something just 
take two ideas and slap them together. It'll be fine. Um, so true. So uh, now talking about Setra himself, actually getting mm. into the man's story, even though calling him just a man, as you will find out when we get through this, genuinely feels like an understatement. Uh, so Setra was born into a really interesting time. Um, he was born like somewhere in the late, very, very late, um, I guess you would call them the minus 2600s. Um, but the the thing about, or I guess the early 20, it doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> Cetra, when Cetra was born, Nehekara was in a really bad place. Um, after Nehek had united the nation, for a while, they were doing pretty good about listening to whoever was in Kimri or whoever just kind of happened to be the most dominant king. And all of the city-states were expanding outwards. All of the... Because they weren't called tomb cities, obviously, because they were not uh, <laughs> places of death uh, by any stretch of the imagination. Um, they were very, very different. Like, the Nehekarans pre-Setra were very different people. Yeah. Um, they were... Uh, they under Like, they lived life in a very harsh desert, though a lot of the plains were beautiful, wonderful places. They had a lot more greenery. Um, and a lot of life, especially surrounding the rivers, they had a lot of nomadic desert tribes they worked with. But for the most part, they were much more, they had a much more balanced view on life and the, yeah, the relationship they, they were, between life and death. They were chill. They had their gods. They had a land that was bountiful and extremist. They were in a really good place. But they had kind of fallen apart for a variety of different reasons. And the politics were dark. Yeah, they expanded, and then some of them had either overexpanded, which led to invaders, and of course led to a situation of Nehekara doing what all humans do, which is that when they all got really big, some of the cities they started looking over at their neighbors and going, Eek's mm -hmm. not able to defend all that land. I bet we could take some of his stuff. And they start infighting. Civil war. Big civil war that lasts for a really long time. Decades. Uh, amongst the civil war, this of course weakens the Hekar's outer defenses, so they start getting invaded. Greenskins start coming in. There's a mention that a Lizardman army comes up on the eastern side of the World's Edge Mountains and smashes Liberus uh, and Maroc. Like they're having a really bad time over there. There are savage Northmen coming all the way down from the far north or sailing across the seas and are attacking them. There's mentions of mutants and some of them trying to summon demons, and it's it's a bad time. Uh, there are bandits coming in. Uh, some of the kingdoms are just falling to lawlessness and people are doing desperate things in desperate times. And then to make matters worse, a drought comes in and the Great Vitae River starts to basically just dry up and there's no mm -hmm. rain season for mm -hmm. years. And then Hecarans begin to fear that the gods abandoned them. And to make things even worse, then a plague comes in. <laughs> so it's like the end of days for Nehekara at this point. And it gets worse, and it gets worse, and it gets worse. And there's a couple of things that's worth adding. We've already loosely touched upon the gods, and I'll loosely mention them again. They're not here now. They're very much elsewhere. Um, the time of the gods has passed. So appealing to them um, is apparently, at least so far, not making the difference that it should do. Um, on top of that as well, the classic answer to most of these problems for any of you that know your Warhammer lore is to say, well, let's just get a wizard in and cast some spells. A, eh? that'll sort it. <laughs> but at this point, um, the Nehekarans were not using magic, at least in any way as they understand it. They particularly weren't using the winds of magic. Now, mm. there's multiple reasons for that. But the primary one is they're really quite far away from the poles. 
And the further away you are from the poles, the less magic there is sitting directly in front of you. Plus, we're at the beginning of the... Really, we're at the beginning of the Warhammer world in its modern phase post the great wars against chaos and the elven sucking out of magic with that great tempest of swirly vortex over Althuin has at this moment done its job exceedingly well. So not only are they mm. further from the poles, but the vortex is at its strongest. It is sucking magic from the world and it's yet to be corrupted. So magic, for all it is definitely there, it is present, is not part of their common vocabulary as of yet. That is something that will come later. Yes. So, uh, this, so that's the situation of that shit's kind of hitting the fan. Um, and there's a note that if the tomb cities could set aside their differences and they could all bandy up together in the classic human sense, they would probably stand a reasonable chance of putting up, pushing out the invaders because like, we're not talking about just little roving bands. Like there's like a wah going on. There is a chaos invasion going on. It's it's very, very, very bad. Like, it's a really shit scenario. But the thing about the Nehekarans is they are so arrogant and they're so stubborn at this point, which, you know, is kind of just classic humans, that they still refuse to put aside their differences. Uh, the kings are of the various cities still want to be in charge and they are not willing to work together unless they the, that individual is acknowledged as the top king which nobody's willing to do that and they're too weak to attack one another they're barely managing to defend their cities as is so it's just kind of a stalemate and they're just sort of rotting away basically it's warhammer with a stress on the war yeah and into this comes Setra. Now, what we know about Setra before he becomes king is very, very little, but what we do know is that he was an extremely powerful prince, and he was the firstborn son of his father, uh, which is something that will become important later because Setra changes how things work when it comes to firstborns later. But uh, for Setra, he's the firstborn son. We don't know what his dad's name is, but uh, he was the first prince, and he was a terrifying general. Um, by the time he was in his, I think he was only, uh, I think he was 18 or like in his early 20s when he takes over, he had already fought in several wars. Mm -hmm. He was an incredible warrior. And the big thing is that although he himself was an absolutely horrifying fighter, the thing he's really, really famous for is his tactical prowess. Setra is a genius level general. Uh, he's ruthless and he's just cruel. Like Setra, one thing to get out of the way really early, Setra is not a good person. Um, he's not like, you know, we've kind of talked about how there are some characters in the Warhammer world who are seen as quote unquote evil, but you can kind of argue that, you know, the way their race views the world, yada, yada, yada. No, Setra is just a bad guy because he goes by human standards and he is evil as shit. <laughs> he is incredibly selfish. Yeah, he's prideful. He's arrogant. Um, but he is also exceedingly cunning, wise, and intelligent. And one thing that he realizes very early is that if he can secure the support of the priesthood, 
he will be significantly benefited because it could also secure the support of the gods or more importantly, secure the support of the people as well. So one of the things that he does right from the very beginning is strengthen that particular relationship, particularly because the priesthood as it currently stands of all the gods are claiming that all the strife and all the woe is a curse from the gods for their pride. So, of course, the most prideful of them all comes in and says, well, of course, their pride is the problem. I can fix this shit <laughs> and I will do it the way the gods want. And is significantly um, influenced by the gods themselves in terms of how he presents himself to the people. But let's make it as clear as was made there. Setra is not the good guy here. Setra is someone who has overwhelming desire to rule and as will become clear as he grows older he has an enormous rage a temper quite unlike any other and is not the sort of person you want to say no to yeah so when Setra takes over as king and he's looking out like andy mm -hmm. said he immediately seizes on a really clever idea that the the priesthoods of nehakara had a very strong cultural significance mm -hmm. and they played their role but they were not weaponized the way Setra did. Setra looked at them and said, I can't just be a king among men. I need to be a king acknowledged by gods. Mm -hmm. So he comes up with an idea of he gathers the priesthoods together and he goes, I want the gods attention. How do I do this? And they say, well, we make offerings and we make sacrifices. And Setra goes, okay. We're going to hold a big ritual. And on the first year, uh, the, the, the first anniversary of his coronation, Setra gathers together the people of Kimri and says, we're going to do a great ritual. And to humble himself before the gods and yeah. to, make his to make his devotion, so to speak, evidently clear, Setra very specifically pulls all of his family together, all of his own children that he's had with his wives and concubines, and he ritually sacrifices his entire bloodline. He murders his whole family to the gives them to the gods. And they wait. And very, very quickly, the, the skies grow dark, clouds roll in, and it begins to rain. Mm. And for the first time in living memory, it's so in many decades, it pours rain and the great. Vite River floods. floods. It floods its banks, which washes into Kimri. It washes away the disease. It washes away the rot and decay. And the harvest is greater than it's ever been before. And everyone, the priesthood, the people, the other nobles, turn to Setra and go, He is acknowledged by the gods. He is no king. He is a priest king. Mm -hmm. Now, this is huge. Um, now, we know as a character, he's enormously prideful, he's enormously intelligent. It is very easy for us to look at those facts and say, are they real? And to answer, probably not. In that, <laughs> it would be very easy to say that Setra manipulated the people and did this great act to effectively secure his rule by wiping out anyone who might perhaps come to challenge him later by taking out all of his own children. And then, upon his his first year's coronation secures himself in such an absolutely unassailable position with the entire priesthood behind him with the entire populace behind him because they saved him he is now the center of everybody's life in the local area 
everybody worships him effectively almost as a god king himself and this is when he's but maybe just a teenager this he's someone who has done something significant there's another reading he is literally blessed by the gods and that is possibly also true but if that's true then those gods are pretty malevolent because Setra is the opposite of a good guy. He is not a nice, peaceful king who's going to rule over everyone in a just and fair way. Now, I'm not going to say his rule doesn't bring many benefits. In fact, as we will go on to, they certainly do. But there is certainly many readings that you can make when you look at Setra's background because his first initial steps as he makes his, let's say, initial forays as a king are enormously de decisive. He secures his rule in a way that is so absolute. There is nobody left to challenge him. No one. And no one would dare challenge him because he has brought about prosperity for everyone. Whatever he did, whether it was divine, whether it was magical, whether it was some a completely different source, because as we'll go on to, he is the sort that certain people will whisper to when the dark times come. Yes. So, uh, I want to catch up on Super Chats and stuff real quick. Eric, yeah. what's up, nerds? Thank you, fellow nerd. Appreciate it. They're not Super here. appreciated. They're elsewhere. Andy Law 2024. <laughs> uh. Andy Law. <laughs> uh, uh, Mandatis Callum saying, and there also be the Tulanes in their hey, city Mandatis. states, and the Tomb Kings have tombs in that same land. Oh, we'll we'll get into everywhere, etc. Oh, yeah. Fingers down. And I think uh, that's a really good point just to dwell on for a moment that the influence of the Tomb Kings beyond just their um, legacy because they went everywhere, as we'll go on to describe, um, and they left their culture everywhere they went. Yep, Jonathan Scott. So whenever Citra is killed and regenerating, what is his spirit doing? Does uh, So we'll, we'll talk about this more in a little bit, okay. but the... The, does he have an Egyptian style spirit kingdom? <laughs> so, uh, in the in the lore, the realm of souls is actually expanded upon a bit. In that, it is a there is several like tiers to it, and at the top tier for the kings and the big nobles and awesome, which fascinatingly is not necessarily people who were good in life. It's the people mm -hmm. who followed the laws set down by the desert gods, who were often royal. Because supposedly Usirian like weighs your soul to see how blemished it is, but Cetra gets the top billing, and Cetra is a, a well monster. done. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> clearly Usirian is using an interesting system to weigh people's souls. But uh, Cetra literally kind of hangs out in like the, the best way I could describe it is it's um what, what's the Roman afterlife the like golden fields or whatever well, Elysium. Uh, Elysium. Yeah, it's it's described very similar to Elysium. Yeah, um, I think um, if you wish to view Setra as divine, um, you could argue that very early on he realized that mortal life means very little to the gods at all, in the slightest. What matters is the overall outcome, because one thing, as we will go on to describe, is that Setra is enormously successful. Yep. Uh, Istian, uh, thanks both of you for these awesome streams. I just finished my second uh, session with my Ubersreich 7. These nice. have become my primary source uh, for building knowledge and emotions I want to apart. Hey, that's awesome. Oh, I really appreciate that's awesome. that. Superb. Delighted uh, you're enjoying yourself. Uh, Schwartz, uh, uh, think Cetra and the Great Kurgan lived in the same time period. If so, how do they react to each other? Uh, the Great Kurgan, when he happened, 
total fucking toss up. There are thousands and thousands of years he could have shown up during. Yep. Um, I highly doubt him and Cetra were in the same time period uh, because they, you know, that Forge World, he's a cool character that Forge World book came up with and then he like never gets talked again, ever again. So yep. unfortunately, we don't really have a lot of reference material for him. Um, but if they had met, it literally would have been like if you put Cetra and Nagash in a room together, they would have hated each other and they would have tried to kill each other. Yeah. Um, and th that's all really there is to it. Uh, is Cetra the Warhammer version of DBZ a bridge Vegeta? Yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, teenager sacrifices his entire bloodline at the start of his rule. Kimri and God stop and reach for the spigot. We're listening. Yeah. There's several tier to it. <laughs> Ryan of Sotek. Um, anywho, <laughs> tier to it. So um setra has now taken over he's the first priest king and mm -hmm. one of the things he gets immediately as kind of like a sign of the priesthood gets put in a really interesting position by what setra does um because mm -hmm. we don't actually get to see their reaction but it's fair to say there were probably a lot within the priesthoods who realized that setra was a a significant threat to what power they did have and yeah. b had basically just co-opted their entire religion and being Declaring himself as a priest king means he's now above them, not only legally, but religiously, which mm -hmm. is really, that's a huge fucking deal. I mean, that would literally be like the emperor, uh, uh, like that'd be like Karl Franz walking out being like, no, the grand theogenist, nobody. I'm in charge. I'm yeah. the head of the church now, um, which is a significant deal, um, especially when that had not been the case for you know, all of tradition and centuries before that they were separate entities. Uh, but as us, and by this point, Setra to the people of Kimri is known for his brutality. Um, it's not, it's not a secret. It wasn't like he suddenly was a tyrant. Mm -hmm. He was tyrannical as a prince and he became worse as a king. Yep. And he, the, uh, the cults decide to give him a gift to show that they have his back. They are behind him, and more importantly, to make sure they don't get executed for <laughs> not properly kneeling to him. Because the thing about Setra is he would have turned to them and said, the gods back me up, which means you're going to back me up, and I want you to demonstrate your loyalty to me. Yep, yep, so they yep. do. And what they make for Setra is a grand device we know as the Chariot of the Gods. And it is his big, golden, regal chariot that, to be fair is blessed to hell and back that mm -hmm. thing those i can't imagine what sacrifices those priests made and what uh they pulled out all the stops to imbue it with the power of every single member of the nehekaran pantheon of which there are a lot and it shows the chariot is obscenely powerful uh it has wheels that are literally constantly on fire forever yeah. like source sourced blue flames it's pretty much the uh, a representation of said chariot that tore across the heavens with a god riding in it. Yes, which yeah. there are quite a few mentions of. Uh, there being yeah. some kind of godly entity that rides a flaming chariot through the sky. Indeed, Petra. Uh, yeah, As and so... Yep, and even, the, I mean, the Lizardmen have mentioned of an old one who rode a Indeed. flaming chariot through the sky, which was um, Indeed. Uh, Tlonxla. Uh, which is very interesting, but in any event, it is uh, the uh, so Cetra gets this chariot and he mounts up. And the old world actually does some really cool expansion on the early part of Cetra's reign 
where the next thing he does is he drills the living shit out of the armies of Kemri, where he comes up with several new forms of warfare. He comes up with several new tactical styles uh, that actually lets you run some really cool units in his special roster. And he basically, it talks about that he comes up with a training regimen and he forces everyone in his military to go through these regimens and practice and practice and practice and practice and practice. And if you trip, if you fall, if you make a mistake, you are killed. Uh, the only exception were charioteers. If they messed up, they were only beaten. <laughs> you, can, you can almost feel um, some of the Roman influence on um, some of the writing there. And I like it a lot because it, uh, it really does enhance his character. While we're here, though, let's bring up a couple of extras. The only head of the church is this hammer. One hundred percent true. And uh, Commander Bond, question: Is there any connection between Setra and Alcadazar? Heard that the latter is descended from him. Anyone can confirm this. Uh, so there are a lot of rumors about who are descendants of Setra because it's worth noting Setra almost assuredly had children after his big <laughs> ritual. Um, though we'll talk about what Setra does to lineages in a minute. But um, Setra had a ton of kids, a ton. A lot of people are descended from him. There are rumors and myths that Nagash is a direct descendant of his, which is actually yeah. very likely. It's not just uh, likely, it's almost certain, isn't it? Yeah, and Alcadazar is very heavily flat out said to be a descendant of Nagash. So yeah. it is extremely likely that Setra is the progenitor of pretty much all of the really famous Kimrian characters, which, yeah. I mean, that makes sense. If you're going to uh, put money on it, the answer is almost certainly yes. And indeed, um, given his position and the and the power that he wielded, and most importantly, his extreme arrogance, the the idea of all of these children kicking around all over the place as he grew older, it's another form of immortality. It's almost certainly going to be the case. And given how early this empire is, I think it's fair to say that the vast majority of just people not just important folks what we know but just people in general probably carry a small amount of Cetra's blood that'll be right up through the empire that'll be through Britonia because his people were there right at the beginning and as the various tribes as they were often called moved north and separated from the south large chunks of them will have come from the lands of what is now known as Kemri. So, not Kemri, pardon me, the land of the dead. So there is all manner of cool uh, potentials for what that means. Hell, you could even claim that maybe even Sigmar himself is potentially a descendant of Setra. And that makes for some really fun, interesting stories, particularly if you're wanting to dive into some deep, fun, Nagash-style lore and how um, Nehekara is pretty much connected to everything. Yep. So, uh, now that Setra has secured the power of the gods behind him, he has an army that is so horrifically well-trained and battle-hardened, and they, to them, Setra is basically a god. Uh, mm -hmm. He's not a simple king. He is a living representative of the gods of Nehekara. He has the full backing of the Pantheon. He rides a magic chariot that's constantly burning and, from their perspective, is nigh indestructible, and he starts gathering more artifacts from the priesthoods the final things that he gets before he goes on his big epic conquest is his last two like really obviously he has his crown but he gets two big gifts from the two most important sides of the nehekarn pantheon which is Ptra, who's the great father uh and also the, the sun god and usirian the god of the underworld 
who is important, but is going to become much more important in a little while. And right. from the cult of Usirian, he is gifted the Scarab Brooch of Usirian, which is an artifact that basically it is it's hard to describe how powerful this artifact is because it's <laughs> genuinely frightening, but it seems to quite literally make Usirian aware of Setra's existence, and he is warded against magic by a god mm-hmm. to the extent that even the likes of Nagash, as we'll talk about later, cannot hurt him with magic, which is bonkers. That's Proper brutal. It's brilliant. Bonkers. <laughs> uh, yeah, and- I've got a little brooch. Boom! <laughs> we will talk a little bit. There's a reason why Usirian likes Cetra so much, but we'll get into that later. And then Petra, of course, uh, they give to Cetra his legendary blade, uh, which is a Kopesh that literally, it's a big two-handed Kopesh that has uh, the power of the sun imbued into it. So it burns with the heat of the sun. It's got like a white hot edge that burns so hot that it blinds people that look at it, uh, which is awesome. So anyway, Setra goes, he, Setra being very inspired by legends of his own homeland, basically does a repeat of Nahek. He goes to all of the priest cities and he walks up to them with, or he rides up to them with his, uh, his armies. And he says, Hey, you bow to me, or I'm going to come in there and I'm going to kick your ass. And, uh, he goes to Numus and Numus tells him, ha ha, no. So he goes in and he kicks their asses <laughs> and he just goes around to each of the cities and tells them to either serve him or die. And he has a very successful campaign. Everyone yeah. he goes up against, uh, the first couple try to defy him and it doesn't go well. Mm-hmm. Uh, pretty much everyone else he forcefully conquers. Now, what's interesting is that Cetra doesn't, in most stories, or in the, the newer lore we have, he doesn't end up going through the Valley of Kings and taking over Morocco and those other guys, he comes to kind of more of an understanding because King Far, way over there uh, on the other side of the pass, is strong enough to resist Setra uh, because he has this giant valley that he's able to fortify uh, and make it impossible for Setra to get over to him. But they kind of come to a bit of a mutual understanding of like, all right, I'm not going to mess with you and you're not going to mess with me. That is, of course, until King Far dies of old age, and then his children immediately bow their heads to Cetra because they they're like, nope, <laughs> we're not we're not doing this. Um, so and, basically, oh, oh sorry, no, 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 go ahead, go ahead. No, so uh, to cut that all down, Cetra um, is the conqueror, much like Nehek was before, of Nehekara, and his rule is brutal, efficient, and quite extraordinary. If you go against him, you die. If you go with him, you prosper. So the the big part of his entire rule is that he's actually an extremely competent, Mm. horrendous, autocratic, terrible, despotic, marvelously competent king. If you look at him from just the outside and imagine them as tiny little ants moving around and not actual people, things running around doing jobs. Then, if you look at it from there, the entirety of Nehekara flourishes. It suddenly returns to what it was before. A new golden age returns, like Nehek himself had been reborn. 
The gods are clearly with him. And if you imagine the gods as viewing humans as mere ants, or if you wish to use such a metaphor, you could perhaps argue for a good reason why this figure, who is quite frankly awful, he is a terrible person if you're viewing morality by any classical standard, could be seen as not just a good king, but the greatest king for everything that he succeeds to do. Unfortunately, because of his very character, the conquering of Neakara just simply isn't enough. Yeah. So Nehek conquered Nehekara and stopped. Mm. Um, because that was enough. So we do a couple of um yes, of the things before so we don't fall behind there. They've got a nice quick easy one there. This <laughs> one's for Disney Plus, Cetra met <laughs> Kang. <laughs> Remintut. Yeah, uh Cetra would win, is what would happen. Because <laughs> he's Cetra. Uh oh my gosh, I love that. In my hand, <laughs> the power of the sun. When I hear Cetra's Warhammer Doctor Doom, pretty much all of your favorite villains you'll kind of see in Cetra. Yeah, Cetra uh, manifests many of them in different ways, but I think that's not a bad analogy. Yeah, he's about to get a lot worse. Keep in mind at this point, yeah. Cetra's in his 20s and 30s. Yep, when he, he is. Uh, or like or late 20s, early 30s. From yeah. here, he conquers the world, essentially. Uh, Cetra <laughs> begins, he, start, he pushes out all the invaders. He mm. leads a very successful conquest against several orc waz, completely obliterates mm. them. He then goes up against the various chaos forces, tears them to pieces. He mm -hmm. pushes any lizardmen forces all the way back into the jungles, and he sets up his empire for the next big stage, which is mm -hmm. that he successfully conquers all the way west until he basically reaches the Vulture Mountains. Mm -hmm. uh, he conquers all the way south until he gets to the edge of the jungles. The jungles, he yep. takes over uh, now with King Far dead. He claims all the way over to the Sour Sea. Mm -hmm. um, or uh, then he goes north into the Badlands. What will become the Sour Sea? It's not Sour yeah, at it's, the it's not the Sour it's Sea a, yet. It's a lovely place. Yeah. Uh, he conquers uh, north into the Badlands. And then he goes mm -hmm. further north into what we know uh, as right the Border, into border Princes. Princes. And then he goes further north into, according to some, uh, uh, no, not quite, because it's uh, at that point in his forties that he has his big oh, right. Re right. Um, yes. revelation. Yeah, because yeah, so um, it's it's as he reaches um, the vaults, as he reaches Blackfire Pass, effectively, where one day Sigmar will kick every known orc that exists from one part of the empire into elsewhere. Um, Setra crosses what he thinks is the great boundary that will lead him to the north, that will lead him to the source of the great chaos hordes. And he finds himself not at the north, at the extreme. He finds himself with another vast, massive, unconquered land. And he stops because he's now in his 40s and he's feeling his age. Now, as a man who's in his 40s, I totally get this. Um, <laughs> today's, today's stream was a stream where I was like, oh, my goodness, I feel so ill. Am I going to do it? And I was like, God damn straight I am. Because of Cetracan, so can I, God damn it. And he arrives up there, he looks out across the Great Reich Basin and the enormity of the forest there. Now, it's very easy for us to think, oh, he just arrived at like the Great uh, Forest of Germany and went, oh, that's a pretty big forest. Well, it didn't stop Rome. They kept going, no, stop thinking of the Warhammer world like the real world. It isn't. It's a far bigger it's place. Way bigger. Way bigger. And yeah. he had just fought himself through realm after realm after realm, through all manner of awfulness, and lying beyond, there was more. And 
so much more. It's really fascinating to think about what was there, because according to various books, basic tribes of humanity kicking around. But was there more? Because this gives him pause for two reasons. Number one, there is so much more. There is so much more that he has to conquer. Can he do it? And two, there is a lot there. It's going to take time. And his crushing mortality hits him. The feeling that his body is not going to last for this. He's still strong. He's still very strong. He still glides on that chariot like a freaking god. But he knows his time is short. And he feels, he feels in every last bone of his body just how short it's going to be. And if he's going to fulfill what is his dream, to conquer everything, because who else should? He's fucking Cetra, after all. <laughs> he can't do this. Well, he's just not happy. So, so he sets someone else to trying to figure this shit out. Yeah, and it's it's worth noting that Cetra, his mid, this is his midlife crisis, quite literally. Mm. Uh, and he gets, like, he rages on that mountain. Um, when he looks over the Black Mountains, you might think, oh, he's like, oh, yeah, more to conquer. No, he is furious that the world is bigger than he thought it was because like Andy said he doesn't have enough time like he wants everything like he he wants global domination death is robbing him of what is his fucking right sweary 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 the Scotsman. only enemy he can't stab <laughs> exactly and 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 it's wrong and everything in his body is burning with the desire and you could easily just say to conquer to control to rule but in many respects it's to bring cetra's peace to bring the world underneath the only person that can properly rule it and kick out things like chaos destroy things like the dreamskins no one is like cetra no one in the world is better than him no one ever will be better than him. His pride is a pinnacle, a mountain that no one else can ever climb. There is nobody like him. And he realizes that he's going to die because he's yep. not going to be able to get this all done. And that sucks. Yep. So, Cetra goes home. Uh, he, <laughs> he basically ends his boundary for now at the Black Mountains, and he runs back to Kemri. And he calls every single priest from every cult to him. And he sits them all down. He says, I must not die. Figure it out or I'm going to kill all of you. And they go, oh, shit. Okay. <laughs> and he founds the mortuary cult, which I think a lot of people think that the mortuary cult existed beforehand. Or that it formed naturally. No, Cetra quite literally took all of the religion. Like, so you're looking at like a polytheistic society. He forced all of them together and said, no, you are one group now. And your job is to figure out how to make me live forever. And if you fail, not only am I going to kill you, I will damn you eternally. Bet on it. And I'll die. Which, as far as he's concerned, a horror that everybody should be afraid of. Because he's the only thing that matters. Yes. And the Mortuary Cult, to their credit, are scared pretty shitless. Mm. Um, and they take this charge incredibly seriously. And immediately set out in every cardinal direction you could imagine trying to find answers. They start binding 
desert spirits. They start binding demons. They start uh, breaking open anything they could find uh, regarding ancient lore. And they begin to build as much knowledge, not just about the gods and the incantations and things they had relied on before then, but genuine magic and yeah. trying to master it without the help of any elves or slon or anyone that mm -hmm. actually knows how it works. They are trying to force their own development of magical knowledge. And this entire period of time is actually fascinating because the agents of Setra go across the world and there is nowhere they don't visit. They cross the oceans, they go to every dark passage, they go into every nook and every cranny, they interview every single species that's willing to countenance them, and those that aren't, they terrorize until they get what they want from them. Um, I find it interesting, just again, to try and look at it from the outside and take a little moment to consider what actually has happened. Um, he's reached the old world in truth, and as many view it, because many view the empire that will come some couple of thousand years or so as the heart of the old world. And as we all know, the heart of the old world is, in many respects, the heart of magic in the old world as well, in many different mm. ways. Um, and it's fascinating that it's that at this point, as he crosses that boundary, um, he uh, becomes obsessed with and his people become obsessed with learning all of the magics of the world in order to extend their lives. And the best bit about all of this is, contrary to what everyone would expect from these typical stories, they don't just succeed. They succeed really really well. We often think of the dwarves or the elves as the true masters of whatever particular trade they put themselves to. Elves are effectively immortal. Dwarves, the great artisans, they don't. No, no. Humanity here goes from being a short-lived species to knowing more than enough to extend their life, as it turns out, for not just decades, but centuries. Yeah. I uh, want to catch up real quick on some Super Chat goodies. Cetra uh, yeah. isn't the King Kimry once, but the King Kimry King needs. <laughs> yeah! Cetra <laughs> uh, versus Tomrakhan would be epic. Who's with me? I, honestly, you're, you may not believe me. Tomrakhan would get his shit pushed in pretty hard. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it'd be yeah. a great fight. It would be a great fight, but Cetra would... You need Cetra is really, really scary. Um, would yeah, Cetra's reign line up with the aftermath of the War of the Beard to explain? No, Cetra was. We'll get into it a little later. Cetra's dead way before the War of the Beard starts. Uh, the War of the Beard is more right is is like starts um, right before Nagash is born, or the yep. events leading up to it are yep. around Nagash's time, which is centuries after Cetra. Mm -hmm. um, but. But what is worth noting is that you have to keep in mind that Setra is very conveniently placed where the elves have a lot of colonies going on. Um, and the elves are also like, this is post sundering, not by a lot though. It's only like a couple hundred years after the sundering happened. So the elves are in kind of a ooh, place in a, a lot of ways. Yeah, it's it's worth noting a couple of facts here, particularly if we're going to just briefly discuss the elves, because the elves are something that we should consider, because they have um, an empire upon which the sun never sets at this particular point. It spans the world, it is everywhere, and surely it will have contact with Setra, this great expanding force, and the answer is 
Yes. And we have proof of this with various events that happen later. And interestingly, whom Setra allies with? Because repeatable, repeated times, Setra will go to war with, bum, 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 the Dark Elves. Which I think is a super fascinating thing, particularly when yes. you consider where the Dark Elves end up. Multiple times they'd make raids into the old world together as a combined force. So there's a fascinating tale there that almost certainly needs to be expanded upon because Setra is a unique individual who does not take allies easily. So it speaks to an older alliance or an older contact that I think would definitely be super fun to explore out and figure out exactly what happened back then. Yeah. And, uh, there is a lot of heavy indication that Setra was trading with the high elves and with like Alexandria. There's yeah, like elf, a whole thing about elves. Yeah. Uh, sorry. Kind of, elves. Yeah. Elves. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, but and that uh, he also traded with the dwarves. Um, a lot yeah. and the lands that Setra wanted were not like Setra didn't really care for like crossing the world's edge mountains because he literally kind of treated them as the edge of the world. He did expand up into the dark lands uh, mm -hmm. after his, which we'll get into in a second. But he didn't really want the mountains themselves because they were not really settled. They weren't great for the empire he was building at the time. I'm sure he was eyeing the dwarves in the long term. Um, but he was happy to trade with them and get precious, precious gold and gems and materials. Because if you look at all the materials that Kimri has, they likely had a pretty lucrative relationship with the dwarves, especially because they were a yeah. breadbasket. And if there's things dwarves are happy to trade for, to be frank, it's food. Yeah. Um, at, at, at the moment, really think of um, uh, if you want to go down the old alliance scheme, he's kind of lawful evil. Um, which means yeah. that he's, in many respects, he's up for trade, he's up for working with people, he's up for doing whatever needs to be done. Um, his empire, as it expands, it goes through other human empires, other human peoples, and it goes through any who dare oppose him, which is quite different to arriving at, say, for example, a large dwarf hold, which is, at this point, probably quite technologically capable anyway. Um, but you arrive at your old dwarf hold, and the old dwarves are like, yeah, who are you? Uh, yeah, great, let's trade. There is no reason to conquer them at this point when he's got those who are literally trying to war against him. Greenskins, for example, as he moves through lands that the Greenskins hold. They are his focus because they're the ones that are a threat to him. The dwarves are not a threat to him at all in the slightest to attack them is to open himself to attack from them and he is really far from an idiot really far yeah. you could argue in many respects that he is for all he's the worst bad guy in many respects he's also the ultimate good guy in terms of bringing peace bringing prosperity and calming everything the shit down where beforehand it was war, disease, pestilence. It almost feels like one of the great incursions of chaos happening again, etc. Almost like he's a champion of light, but the most darkest one you ever saw is bringing peace everywhere that he goes. And when he encounters peace from another species and it's not threatening him, he moves on. He's got bigger fish to fry. So, yeah, they almost certainly were in contact a lot because they're in the same parts of the world. Uh, Commander Bo, such as seeing the mess after Nagash's great kill, everything smells like Troy from Community entering the flat with pizza and seeing the mess there. <laughs> Not completely dissimilar, yeah. It's more like a nuclear bomb went off as opposed to everything's just on fire, but yeah. Yeah, that's uh, coming. Pyro Mecco just got uh, the Old World Ravening Horse book. It says Tomb Kings can ride horses. I know you for repeatedly says because the religion, I've lost trouble finding the source for that. Uh, there's a 
So uh, I, I have to go sit down and actually look in the Ravening Horse book. But in 8th edition, they they did not give you the option to ride horses with your Tomb Kings and Tomb Princes only. Uh, and the re and the, there's a note in the uh, chariot section that just talks about that why the Nehekarns don't do that. And it's because of the way they view horses, which were a very recent thing for them. Um, like humanity taming horses was a fairly new phenomenon at that point. So the Tomb Kings were like, ah, those are like dirty creatures of the earth. I'm not touching those things. Um, it's very likely new books have changed that. That's fine. You know, lore changes yep. and adapts. It's going to happen. Uh, Sean Saltz, is Kimry just the British Empire? <laughs> no. No, not really. Um, it's a much older empire. Um, I would look to the older empires if you want. If you want to see British Empire um, made manifest the warmer world, the Hyles, um are far closer to that and what becomes of them. Abyssal, a little off topic. When do con Katep and Constructs fit in? Uh, later. Um, that's more around Nagash's era, less Cetra's era. Um, which we'll we'll talk about here uh, more specifically in a moment. Such is the perfect example of the white-black color combinations from Magic the Gathering. <laughs> I appreciate you putting it in magic terms for those that that need that. <laughs> those, those, that, that helps visualize it for some people. I appreciate that. It does. Uh, so, Cetra, as we said, returns to Kimri. Uh, he's 40 mm -hmm. years old. He tells he founds the Mortuary Cult. And to make the Mortuary Cult exceedingly powerful, Cetra... Cetra needs everyone in Nehekara to invest in the mortuary cult for his own benefit. So he changes the laws for the first big thing he does, which if you really think about it is insane. Like imagine this trying to happen in the empire. Cetra sends out a missive to all of the cities and he tells them, okay, our religion has been restructured so that all of the cults are now under the mortuary cult. Mm -hmm. Furthermore, all of your firstborn sons uh, or child, children, whatever it may be, um, your firstborn sons and daughters, actually, I think it's sons specifically, because um, the Mortuary Cult was like, uh, it uh, uh, actually had some really interesting views on sex, which plays later into Neferata shenanigans. But uh, he tells all of your firstborn sons must be given to the Mortuary Cult. They will forfeit all titles. They will forfeit all anything that has to do with royalty. They belong to the cult. They will be mm -hmm. raised by the cult. They will be educated by them. You, all of your firstborn sons belong to me. And their job is to make sure I don't die. Which like, oh, holy Cetra. shit. How that <laughs> did not destabilize an empire is goes to show how scary he is. And mm -hmm. respected, honestly, in a lot of ways. And feared. <laughs> yeah. So oh, yeah. the mortuary cult, like Andy said, they scatter all over the place and they begin to make crazy advancements mm. very, very quick. Um, however, it takes time. And what they are successful with very, very quickly is figuring out ways to extend Cetra's life so that he lives a lot longer than anyone does before him. Um, it's around this point, for those that are curious, that Cetra also meets his herald um after Yay. the mortuary cult has been established cetra has been warring for years uh at this point he's his empire's already expanded the black mountains but now he's going further now he's expanding uh across the world's edge mountains um through the charnel valley uh or not charnel valley uh the the passes north of like the misty mountain into the darklands he's mm -hmm. now expanding right into yeah, he's now expanding yeah. into the what we know now as the Southern Empire. He's expanding into the Black Mountains, the Gray Mountains, the Apocini Mountains, 
Uh, he's expanding into Talia, Estalia. Like Italia. he's he's going everywhere. Um, and and his and his influence is felt around the world. His people reached Lustria. They reached Cathay. They are all the way over in the pond. They're over in what will become all the various groups that we know. There are Nekarans there studying alongside them, attempting to subjugate them, working with them, working against them. They are everywhere. Yeah, and his nation, and amongst this, there is a young man who uh, makes a interesting presence in Cetra's armies. Now, what's super fun and interesting about Nakaf is he demonstrates a really interesting thing about Cetra, which is that in Nehekaran society, they had been basically absorbing tons of different human cultures uh, because they were absorbing literally every tribe, uh, either forcefully subjugating them or uh, peacefully just taking them over and integrating them into Nehekaran society. And it's pretty heavily implied that Cetra is probably like forcefully or not, probably not nicely taking like wives in all these different cultures and having children in all these different cultures. And he's expanding his influence. And uh, some of these peoples migrate into the empire properly. And it's kind of a bit of a mess. Um, but even Cetra does not care where you're from which is very unique about him uh, in the lore perspective. A lot of the Nehekarans are very prejudiced against the people that are not native to Nehekara, where they're viewed as barbarians. Like you are, oh, you're from one of the savage tribes of the Southland jungles, or you're from the nomadic desert peoples of what we know as Araby, or you're from, uh, you're one of those Northern tribes. Ugh. And they Although, are. I'll intercede there and say a couple of places. Setra is given the view that, uh, for example, when um, he later on fights against Chaosy peeps, they are very much viewed as outside barbarians, and how dare they come upon his land? Um, so there is a certain amount of that, but I think it's fair to um, because I don't think um, that what was said there I, was I wrong. Agree. I agree. Um, yeah, I, I think um, you've got those who are with Setra; they're cool. And those who are against them, yes, they are not cool. Um, and that is where the differentiation lies. So if you're looking through the books and you find any references that say something along the lines of, oh, those filthy northern barbarians, thoughts, etc., or something similar, that does not necessarily mean that he thinks all people from the north are barbarians. What it means is they're the ones that are not underneath his control yet. <laughs> uh, they have not bent the knee, so to speak. Yeah, so... Uh, among Cetra's armies, there are notes that a lot of his armies are made up by people who were born elsewhere or have parents that were born elsewhere. And these people suffer. It, it, we don't get a lot of details, but it talks about that they suffer prejudice from other Nehekarans. But Cetra doesn't care so long as they perform and they're loyal. And one of these is a young man named Nakaf, who is very bluntly just kind of flat out stated to not be Nehekaran. His origin or his blood origin, his parentage ties back to what we now know as the Empire or maybe even Norska. Norska. Um, I think it's quite likely it's Norsi or yeah. some equivalent. Yeah, but he is, he's a big kid. Like he's 18 years old and he's huge. By the time he's 18, he's a mountain of muscle and he is full in on the Cetra indoctrination. Like he is so loyal to Cetra and views him as a god. Like he, Culturally, he is a Nehekaran, even though he uh, uh, was not born necessarily there. Or maybe he was born there, but his parents certainly weren't. And he ascends through the ranks of the army so that when he's 18, 
he is inducted into the personal tomb guard of Setra. And by the time he's 20, he takes over as one of the head uh, members. And then very quickly after that, Setra personally acknowledges him and elevates him to the rank of Herald. And what's fascinating about that is that a lot of the kings in Nehekara are very particular about, they usually like to rely on their sons and daughters as their princes and princesses, or their heralds are very specific individuals that are raised up from within their families or are direct servants of their families. Setra literally just found a stranger, uh, just like a, basically a peasant child yep. who impressed him to such an extent that Setra was like, this kid understands loyalty and he's strong. He's big. Like Nakaf is so big and powerful that Nakaf is literally talked about being able to crush men's skulls by punching them barehanded, which is pretty impressive. <laughs> Not not just cracking their skull, mm. he's caving in skulls with one hit. And Nakoff, the other thing is that Setra demonstrates a very shrewd being able to tell how useful people can be to him because a lot of people see Nakoff for just a big brute, but Setra realizes that Nakoff is incredibly intelligent. Yeah. And Setra educates him. He, he makes sure that he is taught how to read and write and that Nakoff, who is utterly dedicated, not only becomes incredibly infatuated and loyal to Setra, but becomes so educated that he memorizes incredible amounts of information. Because not only is he memorizing all of Setra's titles and everything, but he has to memorize what Setra says word for word. He has to memorize all the laws. He has to memorize uh, any like particular treaties or battles or issues that come up. And he is the personal emissary of Setra. And Setra trusts him so much to an extent that Nakoff is gifted the word of Setra, meaning that whatever Nakoff says is considered to be the word of Setra himself because Setra trusts him that implicitly. And then he gives him his flail, the flail of skulls, um, which is to which is an artifact that, funny enough, Setra actually wielded himself. So it wasn't just made for Nakoff. It was one of Setra's personal weapons. And it is, it is literally, Cetra killed a bunch of kings and warlords that pissed him off and wouldn't kneel, had them all decapitated, had their skulls clean, dipped in gold, and then put on chains, attached to a flail, and then enchanted by the, uh, the priests so that they're like, they bite and gnash and tear at people. And it's, the, the, the flail of conquered kings is quite literally beating people to death with the people Cetra didn't like <laughs> which is just crazy proper metal love it yeah and so that's the cop <laughs> but i love Nakov because it demonstrates a really interesting aspect of Cetra that he cares about results all yeah. of the nitty-gritty details he doesn't give a shit like he just doesn't care and i think that that's um a super important aspect of his character again to try and look at it from the outside because we can all read the army lists and the various stories and get a good sense of what they say um but when we try to think about who these people are how do they gain the success that they gain it's easy to say something like oh maybe he made a deal with the gods the dark gods or something but no look at what he's doing he is working according to the precepts of all of the gods that he potentially represents 
and is doing what most people would consider to be utterly inhumane things. But it's very easy to then go, yes, but the creatures, the entities he's potentially serving or not serving because he doesn't serve, that he is representing, um, that he is allowing to access the world. They are not human. Inhumanity is not a part of his language. He's not human or inhuman. He is Cetra. And he does what needs to be done to make his everything work. And in his little chap there, he found someone who was just like him, potentially. And in time, definitely was. Yes. So, all that to say, Cetra gets old. Yep, he does. Despite, really despite <laughs> everything the priest kings are doing, he starts getting weaker and older. Mm -hmm. um, and they're doing everything they can to preserve him. And the, the problem for them is that he's getting angrier and angrier and angrier. And worse, weaker and weaker and weaker. And because he's getting weaker, his anger is being made manifest. So he is where beforehand his anger would be an outburst. He would say, this has to be resolved or things are going to get worse. Now his anger is being, kill them all, they failed, bring in the new one. <laughs> He's getting worse and worse and worse. And more and more, you could argue, afraid of the fact that his great dream will not be uh, fulfilled or seen through. Um, this entire period is also a fascinating one because we are somewhat devoid of what he actually does for most of this time. Mm. And I don't mean uh, the simple stuff like he, uh, you know, installed this rule and did this law and did this stuff. There is a very long period of time here where previously in the space of just some 20 years, he manages to conquer an empire quite like any other. And then given the centuries that follow, you would expect him to rule all of the Southlands. You would expect him to rule all of the old world, all of what lies beyond, but that doesn't happen. Indeed, his borders are somewhat nebulous. We don't know exactly how much further he goes. There's clearly an awful lot of pushback from somewhere during the course of this period. And this entire period, as I say, is somewhat nebulous. There's clearly a great conflict somewhere. There is clearly things that are stymieing him. There are clearly issues that he is facing, which in turn is going to make him, if anything, even more angry because his great millennial long rule, the rule that should go on for effectively a million years, is constantly being stymied because he himself is getting weaker. And you can see the story that you could build from this because he's getting weaker. He can no longer take to the front lines in the way he used to be. He's getting more decrepit. He's getting angrier and older. And his rule is slowly fracturing because it's no longer expanding at the pace that it used to be. Yeah, and the, the last things I'll say in this particular segment before we uh, check in with messages and stuff is that Cetra, uh, for the records we have, uh, which the old world doesn't contradict, um, seems to stick to, Cetra lives for long for a human, but in the grand scheme of things, not really that long. Um, he lives for about 150 years. And uh, and like Andy said, the, the thing that's fascinating about him is that once he crosses that threshold from about like once he gets into like his 80s, that's when we really stop seeing Cetra go anywhere. And he seems to spend about half of his life, about 70 years, just kind of hiding in Kimri, being just pissed 
And granted, he's you can imagine he's surrounded by priests who on a daily basis are trying experiments and rituals, and they're trying to do all these things to make him live longer, like just a man being fretted over by doctors. And like he's old. It's not because they have not figured out eternal youth. They frankly, they actually never figured that out. They no. <laughs> uh they have figured out how to make him live longer, but he's not necessarily living in good shape longer. Yeah. So his 80s are kind of miserable, even though he was incredibly strong. So he was probably in much better shape than most 80 year olds would be. But he's still 80. And like by 150, like he's bedridden, um, yep. probably probably more like by his 120s. Like he literally his his death is miserable. There is a description of his death being that he is a frail old man in his bed who is spitting in rage like the, the mortuary priest can barely get a word in because he's cursing them constantly for their failures because he and knows them not. like the skexies yeah yeah he's 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 proper raging because the time is coming to an end and to make matters worse as time passes by and the mortuary cult continues they pretty much crack most of it yeah and what's what's kind of funny is there's there's a note that the mortuary cult purposefully kind of leads cetera on for a long yeah. time of that they oh, oh yeah we got it we're, we're about to figure it Real out life. uh and they don't before he dies and there's a moment where they finally realize they have to tell him like <laughs> they, they, they finally come to a decision where they're like all right everybody draws straws whoever gets the longest straw is the one that has to tell cetera he's about to die um which honestly, that guy probably was executed more than likely. But um, so Cetra, as he's dying, like genuinely dying, the mortuary cult just keeps telling him over and over, we'll figure it out. Like we tell you what, we haven't figured out how to make you immortal, but but we did figure out how to bind your soul to your body so that you won't mm -hmm. degrade in death. We have figured that part out. So we'll do that. We'll preserve you perfectly. We'll protect you against, we'll protect your body against the ravages of time. We'll protect your soul against everything that comes afterwards. And you'll hang out in paradise. And when you wake up, you're going to go to sleep. You're going to die. But when you come back, you will be in a golden paradise and a golden godlike <laughs> immortal body. And you will reign for millions of years. We promise. Yeah, you, you can see the uh, uh, mortuary cult committee. Right, so how are we going to sell this to him? <laughs> right, the he's dying. Right, he knows he's dying. We know he's dying. And he's getting closer and closer to the edge. Whatever the gods um, are, are were promising him or what he believes is to occur isn't going to happen. So how are we going to sell it in a fashion that he's going to run with it? And they come up with their cunning plan. And it's this. It's it's definitely a story. Yeah. And so Cetra the Imperishable at somewhere in the ballpark of 170, 150, somewhere around there, dies. Yeah, he could be as old man. as yeah, maybe maybe about 170, 180, because it's all circa dates and it's all kind yeah. of difficult to be certain how old he was. Yeah, and he dies, he dies 150 years into his reign, not yeah, at totally. 150 years old. Yeah. Um and Cetra, and it quite literally says he literally dies mid-sentence with a curse on his lips. Like, he dies yelling at someone <laughs> because he's Cetra. Um, and for the before we go into the next part of the story, just catch up on all these messages really little quick. Uh, ba -ba 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 was the most recent one. Uh, did that one. Oh, here we go. 
I feel the need to note that given his age at the time, the oldest of any Cetra's kids could have been for his great ritual would have been six or seven years old. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Cetra did not sacrifice a bunch of teenagers or adults. He sacrificed like literally it's, children and babies. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's, he's literally the worst. <laughs> Uh, Nippon and Cathay, what? Yeah, um, no, it's we do. very clearly established that Nippon and Cathay were trading with Nehakara, and the Lich Priest would have been there. Like, they were literally searching all over the world for information, yeah. and they were even stealing information, too. They were being nefarious little shits in a lot of places. Yeah. I mean, um, if I had set to telling me to do things, um, I would probably be going, yep, yep, you want me to go where? The other side of the world? I'll figure it out. Yeah. Hey, I don't don't have to be near him for his rages. I'm out of here. See you guys. I'm going on vacation. Uh, yeah. Bye. Yeah. Morning to Crescent. When do we get to Dwarf Moses? Uh, the, so the Dwarf Moses from the um, the 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 Serpent Queen novel from Gotrix Felix. Fun character. He's after Cetra, but he's he's probably around Nagashish time. Um, okay. maybe a little before that. Is that why Rupresh the Seventh was able to rule safely? I feel like that's a joke referencing something, and I don't know what it is, but I'm sure Hammond will let us know. Rupresh the seventh. Uh, yeah, please, please confirm that one, because I'm not quite sure what you mean by that. Arantheal, so would Cetra be jealous of Shukin guns? Humans with naturally long lifespans and magic abilities, something he did not have naturally. Yes, he would have hated them immensely, though the second he found out they were dragon-blooded, I, I think he still he would still be immensely jealous, but I think he would have an a, probably an interesting perspective on that in that he would probably not really see them as human uh, to an extent. I'm actually very, it would be really fascinating to explore what Cetra's thoughts on something like that would be because they're humans with the things he wants because they had dragons for parents. Yeah. Um, I, if the truth of that came out, because this is very early um, in the whole timeline, but if the truth of that came out and his ambassadors out there figured this shit out, there's going to be kidnappings, there's going to be experiments, there's going to be trying to figure out ways that they could take what they have and, I don't know, use their blood, inject into themselves in some sort of, I don't know, blood ritual type way. Yeah, honestly, I mean, it's, I would I, say that may well have happened. Like, it's yeah, very possible and, priests in Cathay may have kidnapped Shukigans and, like, they were injecting Cetra with that stuff. Yeah, it would not surprise me at all. Um, I, in fact, I would argue, given that we know what ends up happening to the mortuary cult, they effectively become immortal. Um, and that's coming from somewhere. There's all manner of different mm. stories across the Warhammer world, and there's a really good one there. Um, and it allows you to start wrapping together lore from different corners of the Warhammer world together, something that I think the old world is uniquely positioned to start doing. So it'll be super fascinating to see if anyone picks up that bit and goes, oh, we could use that bridge that into there because that will make it make some more sense yep um Andates, do i love nakoff's new model yes it's gorgeous yeah, uh, it is. i i do wish that he had a special rule that let him like attach to cetra's chariot he doesn't he just kind of runs around on foot but uh his model is gorgeous and i love his big old scroll like it's awesome um uh Super remember kingdoms having gunpowder imported from cathay but that was against the guy and that's from the nagash trilogy which i don't i just don't like um i feel yeah. like <laughs> If they took a while to get like turn their gunpowder into actual weapons. Um, they use gunpowder for different things for a long time, and I I just don't. It doesn't really make a lot of sense, and it also doesn't match with the stories we have, like the canonical first new lore, old world lore, and army book lore about how Cetra was defeated or Nagash was defeated. I hate the idea that Nagash was defeated because he didn't know what a gun was and he walked in front of a gun line and got shot. It's a stupid story, and I hate it. I'm yeah. Much I the the 
the army of the seven kings defeating him because Nahakar united against them, not because they used foreign arms. Yeah, so very loosely speaking, the novels contradict the army lists and the output from the prime game. That being the case, the novels have to be taken with a certain amount of pinch of saltiness. Um, because whilst, yes, they may drill into lots of fun details, if they actually contradict details that we already have from the main line, which is considered to be, as far as Games Workshop's concerned, the core of what their individual settings are about, you go by yourself the Tomb King army list, or its equivalent as we move on, um, and it's absolutely essential that everything matches that. And when a novel contradicts it, very quickly that novel becomes not one that is referenced by others. Yeah. Uh, Commander Bode should have given Cetra a magma dragon's heart. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, later, you'll probably talk about it, but how does Cetra use magic? Well, we're not there yet, but we will get there. Um, yeah, we that's will get there. after Cetra comes back to life. Yeah. Um, uh, but yes, he was not born a wizard, which is going to make what he does after he comes back to life absolutely insane. How does Joff feel about this whole binding souls to body thing? Would that deny their afterlife? So hmm. that there is a really interesting thing to consider about the Nehekar and Pantheon as a whole, where Cetra's obsession with not death, but defeating death led to and this is kind of the next thing we're going to go into so i'll come back to this in a second because we're about to get into it so we'll we'll get into that in just a second let me get this last thing out of the way etc yeah. actually just Kremlo, get out of my chat um <laughs> uh viper wolf uh are there living humans who still worship the nehekarin gods follow up <clears throat> question to the tomb king's protector have any living humans working slash serving thanks guys uh does anyone still living worship the nehekarin gods not that i've ever heard of doesn't mean they don't exist um, there, there are some tidbits that there might be some nomadic desert tribes or uh, some groups of Araby that still do, which would make sense. Um, so, but there's not a lot. Yeah, the biggest problem here is that we have a dearth of useful lore in the region that isn't just tomb kings, um, and thus we don't really have any great awareness of what else lies beyond them. But um, what little hints and tips we have, what similar hints and tips we have of Varaby suggest that, yes, there will be not just a holdout, there will be lots of different peoples who are worshipping, revering, or studying them in a variety of different ways. So the answer is tentatively yes until they say definitively no. Yeah, and uh, as far as living humans, uh, Old World has 100% confirmed that the city, uh, I think it's Numis, uh, which is where T King Tutankadut rules which is fun to say uh he they have brought back that living humans live there um that there was a group uh there were some nomadic desert tribes that came i think from the badlands that settled into his the ruins of his city and they it it's kind of implied that they mistake tutankanut for one of their gods um yeah the, the scythians yeah and they worship him as a god but he is okay with this <laughs> you know, typical tomb gang oh you think i'm a god of course of course uh so there it's it's the living city um so there are people that live there and uh it actually uh has agriculture which is really really fascinating um so it is an active tomb king city that has living humans in it that are trading that is the new old world lore which is great and adds in some really interesting dynamics and actually allows for other races to encounter um like actual tomb king stuff um, so it's a city where the living and the dead work hand in hand, which is a concept that appears quite often, um, but it's limited just to that city. 
Um, most of the Tomb Kings are pretty intolerant of living people because they get jealous. Um, so I back... think you missed one from Jonathan. Oh, was there anyone who earned such respect? Nakoff. Yeah, Nakoff did. Um, and I think it's fair to say that um, we are talking about somebody who ruled um, for like he will eventually rule for centuries, but for century plus, it's a very long time. And during the course of that time, there will be highs, there will be lows, there'll be allegiances, there will be failures, there'll be successes. There will, to begin with, be an awful lot of youthful arrogance turned into wisdom as time goes on. There will be many that are in the court who have earned his respect, who have got a right to be there. There will be many that he hates, dislikes in a variety of ways, and many who will be killed because of this. But loosely speaking, try not to think of it just in terms of single characters, because that's the one we have in the army list. Try to think of it as one great big kingdom, and it's, it's beyond just a kingdom. It's an actual empire at this point. It's spread out around what we now know of as the land of the dead. And covers many 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 peoples many of whom as has already been said have come back so um i think the answer to that one is yes but there's not a lot of detail yeah so like one of the new ones we got in the old world the new old world lore is that there is Look a ahead. king there is uh king septa the Amerinthine, uh mm -hmm. who is a very well trusted and liked lieutenant of cetros mm -hmm. who's going to play a very big role in the upcoming lords of the lance book um i don't want to necessarily spoil what happens to but I'm, I'm not we obviously don't we don't know how it happens but he dies um is the thing hilariously his corpse gets taken by an orc warlord who uses it as a back banner which is fucking hilarious <laughs> and i love that little tidbit but anyway back to actual cetra lore so cetra is dead um with cetra's death a couple of things are set massively into motion which is that the mortuary cult has very quickly after this um, almost as if they were kind of holding back on making sure Cetra didn't get it, figures out immortality. Granted, they figure out the crap version of immortality. Like that! Yeah. Boom! Yeah, hey! It's, yeah, it's literally immediately afterwards. Um, <laughs> so they, now, they figure out the garbage version of immortality, mm -hmm. which is they do not get eternal youth, but their, their souls are bound into their bodies. They get really desiccated and old and wrinkly and stuff. But as long as they are not killed, by like a blade or something specific, they are immortal. Yep. And they take over. The mortuary cult is able to now go to all the kings and say, "Hey, Cetra had this giant pyramid built in the city of uh, the city of Kemri, right in the center. The the Great Pyramid of Cetra was this giant white marble pyramid." And they go, uh, I mean, "You know what? Cetra, it's got to be bigger than everybody else because oh, yeah, it's Cetra. fucking it's massive." huge there, there's the little city line and there's this huge pyramid yeah and so uh the mortuary cult all the priests all the different kings go oh well cetra's body was preserved for eternity and he's going to come back for a reign of a million years and all this stuff i, I want to come back with a golden perfect mm -hmm. body what do i need to do the mortuary cult goes oh just wow. give us some money maybe mm -hmm. give us some influence and the mortuary cult becomes the most powerful force in all nehekara pretty much overnight we'll support you my king all you need do is these particular rituals and you will live forever in a golden afterlife as we continue on living for centuries <laughs> yeah so uh this is the big pivoting point when Nehekara goes from being kind of a normalish human civilization to a human civilization that is completely and utterly obsessed with death. 
where their lives become more about preparing for death than actually doing than living to the point mm-hmm. where the people of Nehekara are constantly building pyramids. Ne- none so as grand as Cetras, but pyramids and uh, uh, sphinxes and sarcophagi and uh, statues to the gods, things to guard them in death, things yeah. to protect the kings, to watch over them. And because Cetra, of course, his pyramid is giant for a reason. Cetra was like, oh, well, if I'm going to come back, I want to come back with all my stuff. Yeah. And, and not just all his stuff, all his people. Yeah, because um, yeah, they Cetra all go in very... there too, and they all die too. <laughs> yeah, Cetra's all entire Cetra's entire legion commits ritual su- suicide. Yeah, um, Nakoff is literally said Nikoff, to be the first person that dies after Cetra. As yep. soon as Cetra dies, Nakoff kills himself because um, he follows his lord thing. everywhere <laughs> into the afterlife. Yeah, um, it's a, a fascinating period that's about to come as well because not only do we have um, the rise of the mortuary cult. And the great lie, in many respects, of dwarves, elves, the elder races being the old living ones. No, the mortuary cult have already mastered it. They'll live longer than pretty much everybody else now. Dwarves are not the long life species. Humans in this particular form most certainly are. And it completely turns um, what many people view as the Warhammer world up on its head. Because human society is not just freaking ancient. It's also extremely long lived if you're privileged. Uh, it's not for everybody after all those firstborns are living pretty much forever assuming they can scale up the pyramid if you wish to use such a metaphor and get to the points where the great rituals can be cast upon them so that they can live forever long life becomes the obsession but it is held by a very tight and select few and the great kings the great leaders they don't really get it they get instead something that they are told is better they're going to come back like gods and perfect bodies, unlike these horrible wizened old folk who are sitting off to the sides going, yes, my lord, they're, they're awful. The mortuary cult are not the end that anybody really wants. It looks absolutely horrific. However, they do get promised something better. And king after king after king raises up and becomes the absolute best in their own minds. They all become heirs of Cetra, for example. Or alternatively, even better, Nehek himself reborn. They are all, each and every one of them, the best that ever was and are going to come back like golden freaking gods and rule everything in the afterlife. Yeah, let's see how that turns out. It's quite literally a pyramid scheme <laughs> in multiple ways. It's uh, so is. <laughs> yeah. So to put it in perspective, Nehakara becomes so obsessed with death and starts pouring so many of its own resources into preparations for the afterlife, not in the sense of like the realm of souls, but returning to the mortal plane to rule over all of reality that the cities become more like tombs. Hence, it's kind of the concept of tomb cities where the dead grossly outnumber the living. If you were to arrive in like the city of Kimri, for instance, you would from a distance go, wow, look at all those crazy huge buildings. Look at the sprawl of the city, how fucking massive it is. There must be like millions of people that live there. And then when you actually get in there, it's like maybe hundreds of thousands, if that, if that, probably not even that. And you're like, where's all the people? The vast majority of the city is empty because it's a tomb. It's just full of the dead because you have to keep in mind these tomb kings are such jerks to be frank because Cetra did this because he was a jerk that every time one of them dies 
they take hundreds or thousands of people with them. They take their armies, they take their servants, they take their horses and everything, and everything is ritually killed and mummified and put in there with them. And the mortuary cult, uh, depending on how important you are to a tomb king, and more importantly, how much money you pay them, you are preserved to various levels where kings were preserved with every single ritual and rite they could possibly conceive of. Whereas like your basic soldiers, yeah, they got enough preservation to make sure that, you know, their soul isn't, you know, cast into the cold, dark oblivion, but is somewhere in the realm of souls where it can be called upon later. And this is the state of affairs for a good couple, like three to 400 years. Yeah. It's a long time. Yeah. And yeah. so Nehekara becomes a land where people are obsessed with death. And this has a dramatic effect on the Nehekaran pantheon, where all of the gods that are not Usirian, who watches over the souls that have died, because he is the god of the underworld. He is the god that they're all going to hang out with. So everyone begins just showering Usirian with worship. And he, Patra goes from being the head of the pantheon to kind of not as much. Like, he still is, and he's still very important. The sun's still a huge deal, but people become so obsessed with, oh, well, yeah, sure, like, the sun's there, and that's kind of important, but I'm going to be dead for, like, probably centuries, if not millennia. I got to make sure that Usirian has a really good place for me, that I get, like, a proper seat at his table. Yeah, it's all about how the people view it, really. Um, as far as the people are concerned, one god rises up amongst all others as being central to their lives and their lifestyles, and most importantly, their afterlives. Regardless of what the gods are or are not, this particular group of peoples focus on one of those gods because of what? basically Setra did. Setra it completely changed the worship of the gods, the way the gods are approached, literally undid everything that had been done before just to eke out a few more years of life. And as we know, for all the mortuary cult did succeed, they didn't really succeed for him, kind of. Although it is worth saying that the continued rituals that they probably yearly keep on lacing upon that great pyramid in Kemri does have a significant effect. Yes. So significant effect. Yeah. Now we're going to fast forward uh, because we're following Snetra's perspective. If you want to know more about what happens, go watch our Nagash stream. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. So Nagash happens and Nagash takes a while. Um, it's, it's a whole fucking ordeal that takes. Hundreds oh, of yeah. But eventually, uh, Nagash is defeated. And when Nagash is killed by good old King Alcadazar the Conqueror, uh, his great ritual of awakening, which was supposed to resurrect all the dead in the world, goes off the rails. Mm -hmm. And in Nehakara, it has a very particular effect, which is that with the exception of Setra, because the wards protecting his pyramid are so powerful that yep. even Nagash's ritual was not able to break them. Mm -hmm. That's how strong the seals on his pyramid were, yeah. which is insanely impressive. Yeah, now um, you could argue that's because they were so terrified he might come back. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so, like Andy said, and we were talking about earlier, pyramid scheme situation, right? Yeah. Uh, thousands and thousands of tomb kings and queens and princesses and princes all wake up. All of their armies wake up. They march outside and go, finally, my time has begun. Wait, what'd you just say? I No, it's my time to rule. And it's a complete 
clusterfuck. Oh boy, is it. Now, um, Nagash's Great Ritual. Go back and watch our stream about Nagash so that you can get all the nitty-gritty about that. But it was supposed to bring all of them underneath Nagash's control. That was the whole point of it. Now, Nagash is an individual, a, the great necromancer, the founder of necromancy, who was in a position to understand what was going on, also deeply steeped in the mortuary cult's many mysteries, was fully aware of what they knew, what they could do, and what he was going to do to undo it all. It would have been successful if it hadn't been for those pesky kids. And I won't say who the pesky kids are. Go watch the other stream. But it completely fucked up. That's the long and short of it. And it meant that all of them woke up and they still, especially those who had been bound up with all manner of rituals, had their own free will. And that meant that we had not just one, not just two, not just 10, not just 50. We had well over a millennium's worth of eternal... Oh, I mean, how do we even describe them? Each and every one of them is like a mini Setra. They all believe that they have the divine right to rule forever because they are the heir of Setra, or they were did better than Setra, or they were the heir of this person or that person or whoever. They all woke up and they all took their armies out and went, I'm king, goddammit! What, what, why is everyone saying this? I am Spartacus. As they all <laughs> um, reached out and claimed that they are the true rulers of Nekara. Um, and they are the ones who should lead. But in the background, back in Kemri, the biggest pyramid of them all is quiet because Setra has not stirred. Yep. And to catch up with these real quick, uh, Hammond, uh, yes, the answer is yes uh, to your Rupesh question. Um, and Dantas, uh, am I aware of the Arabian Rod for Total War Warhammer 3 added the Scythian Nomads worshipping two tongue to the game? Yeah, yeah, I'm aware of the mod. Yep. Uh, what do you think would have happened if the old ones had met Setra <laughs> by the formidable priest game for the answer to the struggle against Cass? I, I honestly don't think the old ones would have tolerated Setra, to be honest with you. <laughs> they probably would have been like, this was a mistake. Humanity was a mistake. Go back. Go <laughs> just start over from scratch. After all, humanity are the ones that bring about the end of the world. So, yeah, hey. man. Uh, Ricky Scotty, a little late made the stream. Setras do not serve. Setra hits the nay nay on everyone. Fear his big schmooze. Yep, dancing queen. Does uh, not so, serve. Uh, all these tomb kings are now fighting everywhere. Uh, Nehakara mm. itself is on the brink of utter disaster because <laughs> there's just people fighting. Like tomb kings are fighting in their their pyramids. They're fighting in the streets. They're fighting in all these tomb cities. We're talking about millions of skeletons and mummies and all these constructs. <laughs> the two kings are yelling at their various... And the mortuary cult is sitting there going, oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. Like, yeah, this is... But, but it's even worse because all of them are led by people who are absolutely convinced they were about to arrive in this golden kingdom. And it's not a golden kingdom. It, by this point, it has become the lands of the dead in almost all ways. It is an absolute hellish nightscape of a place in comparison to what they expected to come. So not only are they a bunch of privileged up, upstart brats, all of whom think that they are the ones who should rule, but they're also really peeved because it didn't turn out the way they wanted. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so the mortuary cult cannot get shit under control. Yeah. Uh, and in the midst of this, Archon the Black is still running around. And Archon the Black is in Kimri and he's successfully winning. 
let me just pop in and say, who is Arkan the Black Sotek? So that people who may not know who he is and who haven't watched our Nagash stream. Why haven't you watched our Nagash stream? But a quick summary of who he is, just so that uh, people understand. Well, first of all, go watch the stream. Second of all, he is Nagash's, like, ultimate lieutenant. He's Nagash's right hand. Uh, and an incredibly powerful sorcerer in his own right, incredibly powerful necromancer in his own right, and he's a lich. Uh, so he's an immortal skeleton dude, and he's a pain in the ass to deal with. Um, but in any event, he almost takes over uh, Kemri, which is what forces good old Grand Hierophant Katep, uh, who was is kind of implied to be one of probably the Grand Hierophant who was in charge when they finally kind of locked down the whole immortality thing. He realizes that they need Cetra. This dude's like probably 1,300 years old or more. Yeah. So yeah. Katep wanders over to Cetra's pyramid. He he cracks open all of the wards and he goes in and he wakes them up. And what's known is that when Cetra wakes up, he notices two things immediately. The first is that the Herald Nakoff is already awake, standing next to him, ready to go. The second is that he's hideous. Yep. He is a desiccated mummy with some of his organs, a lot of his like preserved goodies uh, still visible. <laughs> and he gets up and he looks around and goes, what the fuck? Yeah. And Katep goes, hey, I know you're mad, but there's like a huge war going on outside the pyramid. If you want to deal with that real quick, and then I'll catch you up. And Citra <laughs> is... <laughs> I'll catch up later. Yeah. Yeah, to be fair, to say, and granted, <laughs> honestly, that's probably what kind of saved Kotep, is that Cetra got to vent his rage on all of the other Tomb Kings. Because um, Cetra goes out, and in basically a day, he conquers Kimri. Uh, he he kicks the crap out of Archon the Black, chases Archon out of the city, and he dominates all of the other kings. And then he calls Kotep and the Mortuary Cult to him, and he sits back down on his throne and demands mm -hmm. answers. And the Mortuary Cult gets the awesome job of explaining to him what's happened over the last thousand plus years, including the whole Nagash incident. And to say that Cetro's rage was apoplectic was, is a grotesque understatement. Uh, yeah. He banishes Grand Hierophant Katep. Uh, he mm -hmm. basically tells him, like, since you woke me up and allow me to, like, deal with this, I'm going to let you live but you are banished on pain of death unless you figure out how to give me what you promised me. And I think that um, we should pause just a moment there to um, realize that for all Cetra is the worst, there is clearly more going on with him here. Look at him. He's in an absolute horror show of a state. Now, he's got all of his faculties, he's got all of his strength, but he does not have all of everything he was promised, the immortal youth that would continue forever. Um, he is not just in a position where his rage, if it was as legendary as claimed, should have taken this now immortal creature's life. He should have killed him if he was uncontrolled, if he was rage-filled. He isn't. He's clever. He's cunning. He knows what he's doing. He realizes that this individual was the man who cracked it. And will almost certainly crack the next step too. And he just hasn't had, let's say, the same pressure Motivation. upon him. Motivation, <laughs> yeah. yes. Because he's succeeded and he's quite used to his eternal existence. He has moved past the point where he cares about many of the mortal considerations like what the fuck he looks like. That's no longer an issue for him anymore. He's well beyond that. It is not the case for Cetra. 
he did not live a very long life. He lived for uh, almost a couple of centuries, perhaps. Um, he is still filled with all of the desire to return to what he was. And he looks at this person and he sees someone who could bring it to him. So he doesn't kill him. And if you look at the characters he's described, prideful, boastful, beyond any reasonable amount of uh, morality. Yes, he is all of those things, but he is also extremely calculating. He knows what he's doing. And arguably, it is decisions like these that mark him out as important to the gods because he does the right thing in the bigger picture. Mm. Now, he, on the on the microcosm, might be the absolute worst. In fact, let's move beyond that. Is the absolute no. worst. But on the bigger picture, he is enormously influential, enormously capable, enormously... Now, as much as we've just been saying raging, but calm. Because when he needs to make the cold decision, he does. He banishes him. And I know that that doesn't sound like it's a good end. And it almost feels a little bit like, oh, there's a writer out there who didn't want to kill the character. No, don't look at it that way. Always look at it in an attempt to try and understand why. And you can see the why as clear as day, because this is the person who can get him the answers that he wants. So he pretty much gives them the motivation. Your entire life is gone until you give me what I want. Yep. And, and, for a lot of the Nehakarans, including the Mortuary Cult, like the, by the time the Mortuary Cult kind of figured out immortality, it's sort of implied that none of them were alive at the same time Cetra was. It was like the generation after that. Yeah. Um, so for them, like this is like this is kind of like Jesus coming back. <laughs> like this is a big fucking deal. You don't want to piss off Cetra. Cetra's like it's fucking Cetra. Um, be, him being angry at you is the gods being angry at you. Not a great place yeah. to be. Uh, yeah, I'm going to pick up um, an earlier comment that was dropped in the stream. I forgot who dropped it by. And if we're looking for a historical figure, you might be better looking at Alexander the Great. I don't think that is a bad idea for, you know, what is left in the world for him to conquer. Yeah. Um, and, and, and Alexander's divine origins as well as they were roundly described. Um, and Alexander the Great coming back and say, and conquering, utterly conquering and saying, I will continue to do so and bring everything back to the order it should have. It is quite literally a, a mythical figure. King Arthur, if you're English, coming back and actually being everything that he was described as, because that's the big thing. When Cetra comes back, he is literally everything that he was described as over a thousand years earlier. The, mm. the dude is super capable and super scary and super angry. Yeah, so at this point, Cetra uh, sets about reclaiming again all of the Hekara. He goes around to all the yeah. other tomb cities. He beats up. He basically says, I'm back in charge, and I'm going to get order. Because what he does is he tells the Mortuary Cult, I want you to, I'm going to pick a select amount of kings and their legions who are get, get to stay awake. Everyone else goes back to sleep. They're going to go back in their pyramids or their tombs, and you're going to yeah. put them back into the realm of souls, and they're going to rest. That way, everyone's not fucking fighting all the time. And he does that to every single tomb city. He goes to all the cities and tells them, all right, you, 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 you get to stay awake, and the rest of you go back to bed. And we'll, like, you know, they and they they figured out systems, like some of them rotate, where, like, certain kings will wake up for a while, others will go back to sleep, and stuff like that. But Cetra, very uniquely, is the only tomb king who never goes back to sleep. He never again returns to the realm of the realm of souls. 
um, where the rest of even like the likes of Kalita, Kalita goes back into her uh, her like sarcophagus and rests for decades, if not centuries at a time. Cetra never, ever again, because he doesn't trust the mortuary cult. And this leads to one of the most profound fucking things he does, which is that at this point, Cetra realizing that he can't trust the mortuary cult, not that he necessarily ever did, but now that he really can't, he teaches himself to use magic, which thing. is not really supposed to be possible. <laughs> right. So th there are arguments that can be made here. He may have always had the ability, but he was not in a world where that ability could proper man properly manifest when he was alive first time round. That would be one argument and possibly is nonsense. Another one could be that all the rituals that he's been steeped in, all of the time that he has spent being wrapped round with various magics, both divine and arcane, have unleashed within him the ability to unleash magics in turn. That's also potentially one way of looking at it. Another one, he's just super freaking clever and he's figured it out. That's not really the Warhammer way. Um, you also have the possibility that there are various entities that he could have discussed, various things that he could have um, made deals with. Um, he's not the deal-making type. He's the command-making type. So that, again, doesn't really feel very Cetra. The most the most likely outcome is that he's just not what he was when he was mortal. And his mm. sheer willpower means that he will succeed. That's one. On the other hand, the very likely option, he's quite literally chosen by the gods. And the gods themselves allow him access to things that had previously been deemed to be unacceptable. But we're in a different world now. 1,000 300 years later, or however many it is exactly. Um, and that world is a world steeped in magic, where the vortex is slowly weakening as repeated attacks have been made, as the various stones that had been put up are beginning to go back down again, as the beastmen are slowly beginning to rise and turn many of them into herd stones across the world. Um, we are in a different version of the world, and the gods themselves will have, as much as one can ever say they have an opinion, the gods themselves have a different view as to how these things would manifest. You could very easily just take the line of argument that the gods went, yes, Etra, this is where you are, and now it's time for you to be blessed, so to speak. There's lots of answers, and I don't think we have a definitive answer that is entirely pleasing yet for exactly how he did it. My, yeah, my the only thing we do know for sure is that he does learn language, the, how to speak the language of magic, which in and yep, of itself absolutely. is very impressive. Uh, and he studies the secrets of the mortuary priests. He basically forces mm -hmm. them to teach him a lot of what he knows because he doesn't want to rely on them. Like, mm -hmm. granted, Cetra is not a powerful wizard. He's a very, very weak wizard. He has, he only, and it frustrates him a lot. Like, there's a lot about he is personally very infuriated that he is not a master of magic. Instead, he's only able to kind of grab it enough where he can move his own legions so that he doesn't have to purely rely on the Lich Priest so they cannot hold that over him. Um, cause that was his whole thing is that he very, like Andy said, he's very clever. He very yeah. quickly figured out that the power dynamic between him and the mortuary cult was skewed because without them, he could not motivate his legions. He couldn't raise his legions. So he learned just enough that if he had to, he could do it himself. He, he prefers not to because he's not as skilled at his, as it, at it as he would like to be. Um, but he is, his magic basically allows him to enforce his will on the Nehekar and undead near him, which is very impressive. And kind of, 
I do think it very much leans kind of in the scheme that if you think about the lore of Nehekara, um, a lot of the actual aspects of it when it comes to Hierophants is very much using that relationship they have with Usirian through magic yeah. to bring souls from the realm of souls and bind them back into a body or a statuary or something. And Usirian is the crux of that form of magic. And yeah. Cetra is Usirian's favorite boy. Favorite boy. To the point yeah. where Usirian personally protects him from foul magics, which is a god going that out of their way to deflect magic to the point where Cetra's protection from magic literally is inviolable until Usirian himself itself is killed by Nagash in the end times. That's how dedicated Usirian is to protecting Cetra, which says a lot. Yeah. Um, I, I'll also add um, a small addition in terms of his overall power. Whilst in comparison to the great powers of the world, he is really not powerful at all. In comparison to everyone else, he kind of is. Now, he in the greater Warhammer scheme, he's really low. He's really down there. Um, he is not big on the whole magic front. But in terms of how powerful he is just in general, he's far more powerful than pretty much any Warhammer Fantasy roleplay character is ever likely to achieve, for example, in terms of just his magic. He is really quite up there while simultaneously really being small in the bigger Warhammer scheme. It's it's all about scale, really. And, and for a, someone who is so, so, so self-reliant, so convinced of his own extraordinary ability, it's a source of frustration. Yeah, granted, his functional immunity to magic like heavily <laughs> skews him higher than you would suspect in the power scaling. Because oh, most characters massively. that are like, yeah, most characters, like, you know, it's like, oh, Nagash, one of the strongest characters in the setting. Like, you'd think, yeah, which, to note, um, we're kind of running low on time, and I do want to start getting we are. questions. I'm just noticing that. So I'm going to get caught up on Super Chats real quick, and then I'm going to give kind of a summary of what Cetra does after this, because it's mostly just like, Cetra fights this guy, Cetra fights this guy, Cetra fights <laughs> yeah, this guy. You're going to find the it. next section is, basically, Cetra's back! Cetra fights everyone! Yeah, it's it's but it's, yeah, somehow Cetra never really goes any further than the land of the dead. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll talk about that in a second. It's we're, we're kind of past the exciting stuff, is what I'm kind of yeah, trying to we say. are. Um, <laughs> so, uh, let me get caught up. Okay, so here we go from Rick Scotty. I always wonder how the Tomb Kings yeah. would war amongst themselves. Is it possible for their loyal Lich Priests to steal the opposing soldiers to the other Tomb Kings that get knocked apart? Yes, yes, that would absolutely. be absolutely doable. Yep, yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, that's um, why. I'm like, As a small addition, um, remember war with the uh, with all of them is very different to the war that's conducted by all the other Warhammer species because they don't tire, they don't stop, they just keep going. The only holdback really is the mortuary priests themselves who are altogether too mortal um, for all of their immortality. Um, yeah, they're they're very skeeved out by combat because <laughs> they can die. <laughs> they can just die, die. <laughs> yeah, totally. Where um, all of the skeletons, they just go and that means that they conduct warfare unlike anyone anywhere else and that is um something that is often forgotten in the writing or often reinforced for a paragraph and then never really used again because they can march day and night without fail without any worries of endurance getting in the way or having to have a quick kip or having to have themselves a quick bite to eat nash 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 they have a completely different setup um, so be aware of that if you're ever using them in one of your games. They are quite yeah. a different army. And remember, the Tomb Kings literally fight each other for fun. 
like literally for fun and for like bragging rights they will destroy one another bragging because it's rights, not most certainly yeah uh letter yeah. uh i'll wake up i'll start screaming the cult in the corner oh shit the consequences of our actions <laughs> Oh, <laughs> yeah, I think that's entirely fair. But wait, so what exactly did we tell him all those days ago? What's he going to come out and expect? Oh shit, we're in so much trouble. Yeah, yeah. The the Q line of Tomb Kings that were probably trying to kill the Mortuary Cult, which is probably a big reason they had to wake up Setra, was not necessarily they were like, oh, the city's going to destroy. It's that Setra's the only one. Like, at least there would be one guy angry at us instead of. Everybody angry us. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, Dottis, my contemptible, my contemptible spawn did so. It is time for I, my assured magnificence, to master this myself. I implore the gods once more to give me my right. Yeah, that yeah. I think is a very good way of answering it. Uh, it's not arrogance if you could back it up, Setra, probably. One hundred percent the case for Setra. I'm. I always find like him. A, yeah, I always find him a fascinating character because he is quite clearly. Um, a genius. He is quite clearly extraordinary, yet somehow the lore has managed to forget it again and again and again and just turn him into the bad guy they're fighting this week. And that has always, for me, been somewhat of a shame because, again, Warhammer is at its strongest when there isn't good and evil. Warhammer is at its strongest when it's competing ideals, when it's different motivations, when everybody has got their own thing that they want, and Setra clearly has a very defined set of goals that he's looking for. Yet somehow, if you look through the histories, he doesn't just fail at it, he only succeeds really once, and that's when he was mortal as a kid. After that, he pretty much fails again and again and again because he's used as the bad guy of the week. And I feel that that is a massive underserving of the character because the mm. character, the character himself, is actually quite extraordinary. He set into action pretty much Age of Sigma as we know it by his decisions because of everything that occurs in the end times only could come to pass because of many of the things that he did. Nagash is his fault, you could argue. The mortuary cult, many of the great nations of the old world exist because of many of the deeds that Setra had done when he was alive. He's a fascinating individual I feel has been not used to his best so far, which is why I'm so delighted to see that he is a central component to uh, the old world game. Yep. Uh, Kornjima, how low are the Lich Priests to their kings because they can't just stop the civil war by not resurrecting armies for their kings? A lot of the Lich Priests are very ingrained. They're very loyal. But you have to remember, they can die. And they're very keenly aware of that. And while, yes, they they are key to resurrecting the Tomb King's legions, a lot of the Tomb King's legions, when the civil war started, were already up because Nagash's magic resurrected everybody. The Lich Priests, they weren't in a situation where they were like, ah, until y'all behave, we're not going to give you any armies. Everybody already had their armies. Um, um, and to make problem. matters worse, you might have yourself a Lich Priest who had served 14 of them. Yeah, and he'll um, pick and, one as his favorite. And, and, and how do you deal with that when all 14 come to you and say, right, great, I'm back. This is shit. Don't like how I look. Could be better, but I'm back. Hey, wait a minute. Who the fuck is this? Wait, that's my grandson. Wait, well, my great-great-granddaughter? No, fuck this. No, no. Uh, She was a baby. Yeah, no, no. I'm the boss. And they're like, no, no, you're an old man. Your laws were stupid. I'm better. And the Lick Priest is like, ah, 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 Difficult position to be in. Yeah, very, not a a great time. Would it be fair to say that Cetra basically uses brute force and sheer will to manipulate magic? 
he yeah basically um he he ham fists it but he's really clever um yeah, and he's, it's really yeah, easy not, to fall on brute force oh, okay but stupid about it <laughs> brute intelligence might be better he doesn't just push his way through shouting wow like he's an orc um he is applying everything that he's got to try and master something that is probably quite beyond him but he also has a thousand other things to do let's be honest because you know the world to conquer Yep. Uh, Life God, from what I remember, Cetra just disappears after the world blows up at the end times. I would love for him to return to AOS as a new god of dead acting as a rival for Nagash. Walks nicely into the sunset. Yeah. Uh, he, who knows? Who knows? Um, maybe one day. All right. Maybe so, one day. Because Cetra's awesome. I'm going to speed run us through the rest of the speed run. Uh, run. story because <clears throat> it's a lot of the, kind of the same stuff that happens. Go, so, go, go. Uh, the, the basic scheme of it is that after Cetra wakes up, takes up, reconquers Nehakara, gets all the Tomb Kings back in line. And amidst this, a bunch of crazy incidents go down. There's an incident where, the, like, probably one of my favorites, which is very goofy, is there's an incident where a Lich Priest accidentally rips open a portal to the Realm of Chaos uh, <laughs> next to Kimri, which causes <laughs> demons to pour out. Uh, and uh, the fighting, it, like, it'll, I think the elves end up, the High Elves end up, like, detecting it or something. And they, because I remember the High Elves show up, and Cetra actually allies with the High Elves. Um, again, super important detail. Yeah, um, and, as, uh, to discuss um, Cetra as a whole. Yeah, and so they have like a big fight. Eventually, they win, and the final is literally ended by Cetra picking up the mortuary priest who miscast mm -hmm. in the first place, and he throws him into the realm of chaos portal <laughs> to close it, which is hilarious. <laughs> um, there's an, there are other incidents. Cetra invades the Badlands a couple of times. He has a big right. fight against a whole army of wyverns uh, that he wins quite successfully. Uh, he invades Sartosa because he actually finds out that Sartosa times. Yeah, there's a big one where he finds out Neferata is there, and also there's a Black Ark of the Dark Elves there, and yep. he bodies them. Absolutely fucking bodies them. Despite the fact that it's Dark Elves and Vampires teamed up, Cetra just mops the fucking floor with them, and Neferata is forced to flee north. Um, He uh invades Bretonia, and so in the old world lore, we actually get that in, in the really, really OG back-in-the-day lore, he was like one of the big bads for Gilles Le Breton. Um, that's no longer the case uh, in the new lore though we do have that in 1175 with the imperial calendar he invades Bretonia with a big fleet so he sails across the ocean and arrives on the coast of Bretonia this proves to be a bad thing uh, because when he invades by ocean he gets in a naval fight where Cetra isn't really able to bring a lot of his strength to bear and he actually is defeated uh, his navy is defeated and while he personally escapes he's really upset and pissed uh, so he falls back and we basically don't see him again for Bretonia affairs until the old world, which is in uh, roughly 2250 uh, or uh, which is now or 2276 is where we are now, where Cetra is full on invading the border princes. Uh, if you pick up the arcane tomes, there's a whole story about it where basically he has very successfully invaded the border princes and he learned he learned his lesson from last time. He's not taking his fleet to Bretonia. Instead, he splits his army into three pieces. He sends half his army across like the Black Gulf uh, to launch one assault there. He sends another army uh, north through the Badlands to uh, lay siege to Badakvar and a couple of other cities to make sure they can't reinforce from the east. And then he has a third strike force, uh, uh, which is his army that takes a fleet specifically to a certain city where he's going to take over and from there use that as a launch point to go to war with Bretonia which is where this is probably going to be the first campaign book we get, which I'm very, very excited for. 
Um, I'm pretty sure he's going to kill King Lewin Orc Slayer, which will be pretty fantastic. Yeah, that um, seems very likely, doesn't it? Yeah, because uh, King Lewin Orc Slayer is due to die. Um, yep, he is. His, his time is coming up. Um, but uh, there are several other things. Oh, another really big thing is when Nagash returns, uh, which leads to Nagash invading the Empire and fighting Sigmar Heldenhammer, Nagash actually tries to go back home. He tries to go back to Nehekara to go back to the his Black Pyramid, which is even bigger than Cetra's. Uh, and he <laughs> shows up and is. goes, look at all these undead. Well, I created you, so you're going to do what I tell you to. And Cetra is so goddamn strong that Cetra says, no, not only am I not going to listen to you, none of my boys are going to listen to you, and now we're going to fight. And the Wars of the Dead happen, and Cetra kicks the shit out of Nagash. Yeah, Just, hands him his ass. He literally chases him all the way back to Nagash's R. Um, which is hilarious because Nagash, that is literally the worst Nagash ever is humbled. Is yeah, by S Sigmar gave it a good go. Yeah, I mean, S Sigmar kind of got lucky in my Alcadazar opinion. Actually, <laughs> I'd say Alcadazar gave, gave him a good oh, that's go true. too. That's, that's, that's true. That's <laughs> but true. yeah, but, uh, I mean, he didn't die this time. Yeah, but uh, uh, Nagash, yeah. Uh, for Nagash, it was probably very unsettling fighting someone he probably kind of viewed as a hero. Um, and also his ancestor, uh, who fucking hates him, yep. <laughs> hates him immensely. There's the literally passion. no one, there is no one Cetra hates more than Nagash. Yeah, agreed. I think that's fair. So we end up, um, uh, in the end times and we, as we've said, don't really discuss the end times too much in the streams beyond our end time rants that we occasionally have. Um, and over the course of what is almost the entire span of the Warhammer world since it first fell to chaos, we've got Cetra popping up again and again and again in a variety of ways. When he was young and he was mortal, he conquered whatever he saw. But then he grew old and that ancient curse that afflicts all mortals eventually brought him down. But by the time that he died, uh, a grand old age of almost 170, the cults that he established cracked loosely immortality. He was brought back to life by a mortuary cult, the very people that he'd instilled and created to extend life forever because they were afraid of what Nagash had done and afraid of the great rise of every single tomb king that had ever lived, pretty much. Um, and he brought them to heal. And then, sadly, Setra's great deeds come to not an end but they come to a great brick wall in that he never really has any long-term great success from this point forwards because he doesn't conquer Araby, he doesn't conquer the Badlands, he doesn't conquer Bretonia for anything longer than a few years at a go. Nothing really happens with him because he is used generally by most of the writers as a bad guy to be faced off against in times of woe. He, however, in the end times, I would argue, had some pretty freaking badass storylines. So contrary to most of my end time stuff, I quite like a lot of what they did with Cetra, particularly how they resolved um, his end points. For all, it didn't turn out all that well for him. Um, I will say that from my side, I really really like his character he shows that evil or bad guy doesn't necessarily need to be ravening lunatic 
while simultaneously he is somewhat of a ravening lunatic. Um, he manages to incorporate many different aspects of what we normally accept for our bad guy characters while simultaneously being exceedingly good at what he does. It's just a little bit of a shame that he's never really given the through path at any point to actually properly succeed. It would be lovely, for example, if he significantly had expanded the uh, land of the dead through the course of his long rule since he was brought back, but that hasn't really happened. So as a character, we as writers or as players of the game, we need to try and figure out why that's occurred. Has everyone else's power level just upped? So basically he's in a I don't know, power upageness, combat force, I don't know, competition as he attempts mm. to outwit others who are equally growing more powerful. I think that you could argue that, but that's a relatively weak argument. Um, I would, You could argue that he's a known threat, so thus people try to stop him, weak. You, what you have to uh, effectively fall back on is it's his choice. That's the say... only thing that really works best for him. What, what I do want to jump in in that I, I like about the new old world books is the old world books focus a lot on when Cetra comes back. They talk about like he does a lot of defensive fighting because they're like there's was and the, the whole crusades and a lot of really annoying invasions uh, that he has to deal with. Um, but uh, so he's doing a lot of defensive fighting. But one thing that I think the old world leans well into is that up until... Uh, well, A, they add in that he does invade a couple times other parts of the world with his invasion of Sartosa. I approve. He's invaded of Bretonia, which is great. Uh, but they also talk a lot that he's really obsessed with trying to restore Nehekara, where he's been spending a lot of time really focusing on trying to get Nehekara back into a shape where it's an actual empire. 3,000 years. I know, it's a long time. <laughs> I mean... On that. I could I could accept that as an excuse if we're looking at 500, perhaps, or 250. 250 is a long-term plan, but 3,000 years, it is a long time. It suggests that there is something else going on, perhaps a weakness that is not um, shared, perhaps a rise and a fall in how his power can manifest, perhaps something that should be written into the background to justify why Cetra can't be the Cetra that he is written as being. Because when he comes to the fore and he starts laying out with his, well, divine weaponry, he kicks ass and chews gum. Nagash, whatever, wallop. Who else in the entire Warhammer world can do that? Yeah. And if the answer is not really many, then why the hell hasn't he been more successful? And I think that's a super fun question to answer. I'm not raising this as a criticism. No, I'm no, I agree. the opposite. Mm -hmm. yeah. I'm, I'm raising this as a, there's a bigger story here that almost certainly needs to be told. And I kind of hope that the old world drills into it. As I say, I've not read it yet. So every time Sotek says something, little snippet, I'm like, ooh, ooh, interesting, exciting. Um, so um, I'm super keen to see what they do with him and to see exactly where they develop. And I, I sorely hope he isn't just turned into Oh, look how powerful he is. He killed this person. Oh, and he's roundly defeated the end. Because that would be yeah, another disservice. Hopefully they keep what he does in the 8th edition lore because actually right after his war... Because the War of the Border Princes was not in 8th edition. It's new. Nope. Yeah. Uh, which is great and awesome. But pretty much Indeed. immediately after the War of the Border Princes, um, Nehekara actually, in according to the Ord lore, in like the 2280s, gets invaded by a Norskan war host. Yeah. And they successfully fight their way one. towards Yeah, they successfully <laughs> fight their way towards Kimri and Cetra gets killed. 
Like he gets in a big fight and he actually gets hit with a flaming weapon hilariously. Uh, but even one, as I recall. Yeah, yes, he gets hit by yeah. a demonic flaming weapon and it just it kills him. Yeah. Um, and Cetra spends a while reforming. And yeah. then when he reforms, he invades Norska in the War like of Snow. Ten years, ten years later, as I recall, he goes yeah, all the, the way war up of sand and, uh, <laughs> The war, war of sand and snow, which is yeah. a fantastic war because Cetra literally goes from one side of Norska all the way to the other. And I really hope they do this storyline because that means Cetra would be busy during the old world. Yeah. Like he invades Bretonia right after maybe he kills King Luan Orkslayer. He gets word that because he's not in Nehekara, it's invaded by Northern Warriors of Chaos. He goes, shit. He goes home, he dies while defeating them. They run home, and then he goes and invades Norska because that's perfectly timed for he fights his way across Norska, he wins a bunch of battles, he reclaims every single treasure he's lost, and that's just in time for Asvar Cool. Where yeah. Asvar Cool kind of comes down, and Norska is really weak at this point. So they have to join or die. Which, oh, Andy, you're going to love the new Norska lore. They do such a good job of being like, yeah, they've got some chaos guys, but sometimes they unite to like fight against chaos. Oh, uh, marvelous. That's which good, is really that's, fucking cool. That's very much what we were drilling in when we did that. Um, yeah. Thing. So with, oh, it, uh, yeah, it's, it, it really, it, it looks like the, it literally is the second edition or a warmer wolf of lore. It's great. Mm. Uh, but anyway, so Setra invading Norska. I really hope they stick with that storyline because that would do a really good setup for like, a fun oh, story, by the way, Setra so defeats the out. forces of chaos everyone's safe and then here comes cool mm -hmm. um who takes advantage of norska's weakness that would be very very cool for cetra to kind of play into the great war against chaos without necessarily being directly involved in the fighting um anyway question time uh yeah um well, uh, do we have any i thought we got an extra couple of comments there just oh, before i they, think we did we go yes uh is that the first of them there yes are there any other legendary lords with a stronger will than cetra i would say maybe people tie him but stronger than is a really cetra's will is very heavily touched on multiple times as being kind of indomitable all right so i'm going to say something relatively controversial um, <laughs> we often we often have these conversations both lightheartedly as in hey Cetra, what if we pitched him against Malarian Cathedral or whatever we want to call him? This. <laughs> Malarian Dread King. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the Dread King, witch, man, king, roll off the tongue Phoenix as well, thing. Um, so we often have these conversations, and there's a small part of me that thinks that questions like this are almost impossible to answer, but it's much easier to answer if we just generally pitch one against another. And I think that possibly we should do that in the future. Have a few chats like that, because that would just be kick-ass, chew-gum, and fun. Ah, a, a who would win type scenario? Yeah, who would think? win? A who would win? <laughs> it reminds me of um, being a kid, because we used to do this all the time. Yeah. Um, um, because uh, you, you've got stats on one hand, but then you've got the reality of their situation on the other. All stats might be really useful when you charge them, not so useful when you have an entire fucking kingdom at your back. So, yeah, I think that could be quite fun. Yep, but, uh, I mean, there, there are characters you could... It, it depends. It also kind of argues, uh, like, how will is interpreted when it comes to non-human races. Yeah. I would say if you're dealing with men, the only person that has the strongest will of Cetra is Sigmar. Um, I don't know. Sigmar wasn't that strong-willed. 
Um, Sig- Sig- <laughs> no, I mean, I mean it quite literally. No, 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 you're right. You're right. Sig- Sigmar did not always succeed. Sigmar sometimes failed. He made mistakes. He was quite human. You know, um, I would say Archeon. One actually. of the reasons he was so successful was because he rose above his failings, where in many respects, Setra believes he has no failings. Um, and there's quite a different view there. Um, you could argue uh, Sigmar has a stronger will because he manages to see through the worst even when everything is terrible, where Setra at no point thinks he'll ever be defeated. It, it's pretty much as simple as that. Yeah, that's actually super fair. Uh, but yeah, actually, now that I think about it, Ryan Woodall, I, I would probably say that Archaon has a very similar mindset yeah. to Setra and has has a similar, like, his will is so boundless that he's able to accomplish things that really shouldn't be possible. Yeah, um, they're, I, they're, both, I, they're both very similar. 100% agree. Yeah, I 100% agree about that one, particularly because um, he's a character who's developed into that particular position. Um, uh, and that desperate will that he has, I think, is really quite extraordinary when it's um, seen manifested. He's never chosen for yep. a reason. Love it. <laughs> and then uh, Commander Bone with the, the most recent of... Um, uh, Oh yeah, it's a Henness met. Uh, yes, the High Lich Priest got put into a bone giant. Um, yeah, fun <sighs> characters. There are a lot of the the constructs are super fun. Um, weird, funny enough, they actually don't play a lot into Setra's story because Setra died before constructs were really popularized. Um, that happened with the rise of the Mortuary Cult because the constructs played a key role in the defeat of Nagash. Super important, yeah. Uh, which is why I really don't like the Nagash trilogy because it makes it seem like the guns defeated Nagash when it's not supposed to be that the constructs that really defeat him. Um, but uh, yeah, super fun. Uh, yeah. All right, question time. Thanks for that. Uh, Before we go into the questions, I have one thing that I'd like to say. At the end of the stream, we will um, reveal what we'll be discussing next week, which I think will be a super fun one for everybody out there. So um, if you're thinking... Is there any more Setra stuff? Should I move on? Really don't move on now because next week's topic is going to be freaking awesome. But we'll get to that. And it will, to a degree, touch upon Setra also. Yes, and we promise the week after that we will do a vote again. <laughs> I know there haven't been votes for a hot minute, but there's a lot happening right now, okay? Yeah, there's um, lots of fun, exciting stuff. Yeah. Uh, okay, right. so, Kuma King, considering how Nagash scares the Chaos Gods and Setra the Imperishable has the respect of Nagash, does this mean Setra the Imperishable can scare the Chaos Gods? I would say no, because he is a very different type of threat than Nagash is. If anything, Setra is something that I think the Chaos Gods would honestly exult in. Um, even if they can't necessarily corrupt him, what he represents, unless unless he were to genuinely go on like a world-conquering escapade like he used to, and he started going up against the forces of Chaos and being genuinely very successful, which is quite possible for him um but even then i think that the chaos gods would more delight in cetera than they would fear him i 100 agree um nagash is fundamentally different to cetera nagash um is seeking to ascend to godhood cetera is not Setra may be a god king and often refers to himself amongst a bajillion other titles, as we discussed right at the beginning of this uh, stream. But Setra is not there to challenge the ruinous powers themselves. He is there to bring control and authority to the world, which in many respects is an aspect of change, is an aspect of excess, is an aspect of despair for those that he faces and is most certainly 
at its heart, going to bring a lot of bloodshed. To the Chaos Gods, he is just yet another mortal who is exceedingly potentially useful to them if he would ever bend the knee, or alternatively, exceedingly useful just being himself. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Cetra famously sacrificed his family for divine favor. Did he even love them at all in the first place? Cetra probably has a very unique perspective on the concept of love. Um, where I, I don't think Cetra understands love like most people do. I think he would view it more as, I don't, in the sense that you or I would love someone, I don't think Cetra was ever, ever really capable of that because he viewed himself as fundamentally above everyone else. And if you don't see things as your equal, you're not really going to love them. They're kind of pieces to be used um, in the grand scheme. Yeah, um, that I think is the obvious answer and is almost certainly the correct answer. Uh, if you want to add depth or to try and add character or a different spin, there is multiple opportunities to do so here. Um, for example, perhaps this was a sacrifice that was demanded by the gods and one he was not happy with. Perhaps there is a variety of feelings there that he had that he had to overcome and that overcoming was something that allowed him to become the man that he became um there are lots of different ways we could view this but ultimately at his heart setra is repeatedly described as almost inhuman in terms of his morality so it seems most likely he is some form of sociopath stroke psychopath where he he used them to get the outcome he wanted, or he just removed them as potential sources of when he was young, just in 10 years' time, they could be warring against him. So remove that from the equation because he was young and paranoid. That's another way it could be viewed. The answer is we strictly don't know. Yeah, but there are a lot of really fun different ways you could examine that. As oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> Jan asked, would Cetra let me hug him if I asked very respectfully? Definitely not. I... I would bet you a million dollars Cedric does not let people touch him um, at all. Like, I bet, like, servants are maybe allowed to in very strict ways, but Cetra, if anything, Cetra would probably be very particular about how you approach him. I, I do not think he would allow hugs. Uh, funny enough. <laughs> uh, who could defeat Cetra in a fight now? Uh, future stream. <laughs> future stream. I don't know. Probably Sigmar. He's got Sigmar's got the plot, the plot hammer. He could probably do it. Um, uh, I'm going to give a nothing answer here and say, um, Cetra will always be defeated by whomever is currently running the game requires him or writing the novel requires him to be defeated by for the make the best story. It's such a because boring answer. <laughs> it's, it's a boring answer, but it is how he is often used as a character. Yeah. He is used as a character to show how hard somebody else is um, or to show how weak they are or to show what they are capable of doing. So sadly, Cetra is always doomed to be defeated by someone. Yeah, which is why I really hope they actually pull a, not a fast one, but surprise us by bucking against that trend and have him win the War on the Border Princes and then he has to go home because there's like something else going on. But like, I would I would be elated if he kills King Lewin and then is like I won now I have to go deal with those chaos invaders that would be fucking fantastic and yeah, would be, be a, a far much better, better representation of his character mm. yeah I agree uh, also Barky did another super chat which we really appreciate thank you so much my dude 
Uh, love you guys. Uh, listen to love listening to you both on your separate channels. Thank you. Oh, thanks, Barkey A3. You rock. All right. Uh, real quick. Uh, rapid fire some questions here. If Alcazar was around, would he acknowledge Cetra as the rightful king? What would happen? They would probably fight. Rightful. And that king. would be a hell of a fight because Alcazar was kind of like Cetra reborn. You know, rightful king. I mean, what does that even mean? Nehek, is he the rightful king? Where is he? <laughs> you know, uh, that it's it's one of those questions that the answer is almost certainly going to be uh, either at a table or on a battlefield. Yeah, and knowing the both of them, it's probably going to be on a battlefield. Or at least just because Cetra. I don't think Cetra would even allow the conversation to happen in the first place. Yeah. Uh, let's see. If you have not already done so... Uh, oh, yeah, okay. We already did all the titles. <laughs> <laughs> if Geld made Cetra a perfect golden body, would he be would Cetra declare him redeemed of his misdeeds? <laughs> uh, that's actually a really funny question. Uh Cetra I just, refuse to answer it. Cetra just well there <laughs> you know the answer Cetra's out there. Gelt's just out there casting uh tra uh what's final transmutation on all the tomb kings to make them happy. <laughs> there, you got a gold body now. Shut up and go away. Uh let's see. What do you think the dragons of Cathay thought of Cetra when he was alive? They had to know about the dragons would have loathed Cetra. Yeah. Cetra is a megalomaniacal human who genuinely worships a pantheon of gods and wants to conquer all of creation. He is like the most arrogant, uppity, pain in the ass thing the dragons could possibly imagine. He is the worst. Like he he's literally just disharmony. Like, mm -hmm. but he's not chaos, but he's a very mundane form of disharmony. They would not although in, from his perspective, he considers himself to be nothing more than pure harmony. Things like the dragons are the problem. Yeah, they they would have they would not get along, which would be super yeah, fun to watch. No. Yeah, um no. uh is there a known line Cetra won't cross? The only thing I could possibly think of is that Cetra seems to genuinely care about the Nehekaran gods, um, though he has a very, he has very carefully arranged it in his head where he believes that anything he wants, they want because he represents their interests. But I yeah. don't think he would ever try to like get rid, like how Nagash is like, I want to kill the gods and destroy the gods. I don't think Cetra would ever go to that point. Yeah, the old he's never going to be a slave to darkness thing. He's never going to say oh, yes. Yeah, he never serve Cetra. anything. He's yeah. net well. Um, yeah, exactly. Cetra that. does not serve. Cetra <laughs> does not serve, and I think that is um, a beautiful summation of the character in general. And I think speaks more to the gods that he does have a relationship with to the gods that he denied there. Um, and I think it's such a lovely line for the end times. As I say, I quite like some of the end time choices that they made for him. Yeah, literally probably one of the best lines in the end times is the Cetra yep. does not serve. Uh, Cetra rules, and then he gets ripped apart. <laughs> yeah. Which, like, fitting. Very fitting for him. Super uh, fitting. Honestly, the only bad thing about his story is that he gets put back together. Like, they should have just let him die. That should have just yep. been the end of Cetra right there, and that would have been a great story. Uh, it was very unnecessary to bring him back, because they didn't do anything with him. Uh, anyway, no, they didn't. Could you see Cetra having his own personal Necrolith Bone Dragon mount? Not as a mount, more of just a great big monster he is lying around his throne room. Um, it's not impossible, but the chariot of the gods represents something. It's not yeah, just that. Ah. There's a pro 
Total War, in my opinion, has had a very annoying issue where it gets people to think that the biggest mount is the best mount, period, end of story. Like, oh, it's a big monster mount. It's the most effective. Therefore, every character should have a big monster mount. But you have to think about what the mounts represent. And the Chariot of the Gods, from a representation point, is infinitely more powerful than any construct could ever be. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Especially because you have to think, like, the constructs are, like, uh, they're they're um, controlled by the souls of people generally speaking uh and for setra like no one is i don't think he would really view any construct as worthy of bearing him it has to be a chariot of the gods themselves anything else is too inferior i hmm. uh, don't know if this has been answered yet how do setra and kalita feel about each other we actually have a couple of fun little notes about that they're very minor notes which is that setra kalita is very good at playing to setra's ego um where she's high queen kalita uh, she is a big fucking deal, but Setra has wary respect of her. He knows she's dangerous, um, but he knows that she hates vampires to such an extent that their hatred, their mutual hatred of Nagash and everything Nagash-ish binds them together. Yeah. Um, Kalita That's is actually... I was going to say, so I yeah. can sit back in that one. <laughs> yeah, Kalita is... Fun, strangely enough, Kalita is actually considered a one of the genuine allies of Setra because of their mutual hatred. Like when Cetra invaded Sartosa, the king, the big bad that went with him was Kalita. Because they, yeah. they, they're very eye to eye on all of those things. And Cetra respects her title, which says a lot about how proficient she is that Cetra is like, yeah, she's, she's good. Do we know what Cetra thinks of Sigmar? No, we don't. I, Cetra's no. probably never even heard of Sigmar, to be honest with you. Yeah. And, I think there'd be an interesting conversation to be had there concerning a uh, divinity and what Sigmar becomes. And what God, that would, that would be a really good Black Library type thing. Yeah, like, I think there's a lovely short story, six K word, something like that, in there that could really, could really relay home some of the issues with Nagash as well. Um, I think there's something potentially beautiful in that one. Yeah, that 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 would be one of, if they ever wanted to do a short story that shows Setra from like a how like from a more philosopher king angle which i think he would be very capable of that yeah him listening to tales about sigmar and like him comparing himself nagash and sigmar against one another would be a fascinating fucking story from yeah. cetra's perspective agreed thanks for that one adam <laughs> should cetra be the antagonist of warhammer damn straight he should um <laughs> uh, he's the worst um for all um i have Try to present Cetra through the course of this um, in a fashion that brings up some of his good qualities as well as his exceedingly large number of negative ones. Um, there is no way that we can't get away from the fact that he is the worst. Um, he is not the sort of person that you would generally wish to have as a protagonist. Um, he is very much the definition, if you wish to put it into black and white terms of good and evil, that most would lay on evil, a very <laughs> lawful evil, an evil that brings control, order, and potentially deep prosperity, but nevertheless, a true evil of yeah, the Yeah, funny enough, when they when they released the like allegiance system, like the forces of good and the forces of evil for yeah. fantasy, and they were like, oh yeah, the Toon Kings are evil now because it's the Toon Kings of Kimri specifically, a lot of people were like, ah, Toon Kings are neutral. It's like, no, Cetra's not neutral. Like, honestly, Cetra deserves 
to be evil more than the orcs and goblins deserve to be evil. Like he is an Way evil more. motherfucker. Orcs aren't <laughs> evil. Oh man. Uh, Jonathan Scott, when I was king, when I was king, I was the greatest king, the best king you've ever seen. Now I need to be king again, folks. Together we can make Nehekara great again. God, please no, please no, no. please don't send me Trump. Hey, Tenacious Tyler. <laughs> <laughs> uh different topic but with how much dwarves are traditionalists how do they have gunpowder oh that is a different topic oh wow that's a super different topic huge one too i'm just um, gonna say their ancestors figured it out uh or help the the beginnings of it are from their ancestors and they took um, it and yeah that, that's it, a good summary it's a it's a whole thing go watch our slayer stream we actually talk about a lot of aspects of traditionalism within dwarf culture, and you, that'll hopefully answer some questions. Yeah, that was quite a good one, too. Um, we've got a couple more left there. Uh, we already answered that. No. Yes, we did. Uh, um, Brill Bobaggins. <laughs> Cetra does not serve, but I shall tip. Just starting now and starting to catch oh, up with you, Baggins. Thank you, Brillbo. You super appreciated. Also appreciated from Mr. Pig. I still remember the tournament where the Chariot of the Gods faced off against Kolek. Oh, uh, was that a tournament you played in? Because uh, I will say, Cetra versus Kolak on tabletop is super fun because it basically kind of comes down to Cetra makes that four up ward. Because if he does, he'll body Kolak. <laughs> but but Kolak, that D6 multi wounds, really fucking scary. <laughs> um, okay. And we're done. Back to the questions. Yeah, back to quick questions. Thank uh, you very much, everyone. What is Cetra's theme song? I assume he has a whole orchestra playing as Nakoff speaks all of his titles. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Walk um, like an Egyptian. <laughs> I'm sorry. Come on. Uh, I would say whatever whatever your favorite boss theme from fucking like Dark Souls is would probably fit quite well. Just like full choir. Um, though Walk taking like a genuine Egyptian flair on it while keeping that level of epicness, which we don't tend to get a lot of, would actually be really fun yeah. for him. But it would probably be something really over the top. Cetra likes extravagance. That is his yeah. like big thing. Uh, of Cetra's collection of magic, uh, mag awesome magic items, which is the strongest? The Scarab Brooch, not even Garab. close. The Scarab Brooch is literally one of the strongest magic items in Warhammer Fantasy. I'm, I'm gonna say brooch, brooch, brooch. Sorry, brooch, brooch. brooch. Um, Thank you. I had to approach that, uh, anyway. <laughs> but it's got two O's, <laughs> <laughs> you know. English is a fine language. Approach as an A. <laughs> so why is it not brooch? Anyway, um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, no, the the, uh, the scare of brooch is insane. Like anything that basically just looks at magic and goes, nope, is like that is you're basically looking at the power of gods and the power of warping reality and saying, yeah, no, which is mm -hmm. bonkers. Um. Anyway, if Cetra had defeated Nagash in the end times, would the world have been saved? No. If anything, I think that actually would have made things worse. Um. Funny enough, yeah. <laughs> because Cetra, I don't think would have been able to capitalize on the whole like wind of death thing. And Cetra also, as weird as it may sound, Cetra would not have been as compromising as Nagash was, yeah. because Cetra would have cared too much about himself than the grander picture. Whereas Nagash was. I will do whatever it takes to defeat the dark gods because then, you know, I can backstab everybody later. Cetra would not have been able to meet with the other incarnates as equals, which no, would have no. been critical. He is not a collegiate man. He does not work with others. He rules others. And if others don't accept his rule, um, and let's be fair, some of them would not have accepted his rule. There would have been 
big problems. Yeah, he, yeah, yeah. yeah. And plus, Cetra wouldn't have been able to unite the undead. Like, he would have looked at vampires and just been like, all right, spawn in the gash, time for you to die. Um, Let's see. Do you think Cetra will make it back home in time to be chopped up by the Norsecan Warlord in the old old world? Or do I think they're going to change the War of Sand and Snow? Scythe Petalus, I hope he makes it home. Um, I do think they might have to change the dates around because it's a, it's kind of tight right now. Um, but, um, I hope they still do it, but it, I'd be fine with them backing it up maybe 10 years or five years or whatever. It doesn't have to happen at the exact same time because yeah. they actually are trying pretty hard with the timeline now, which is pretty cool to see. Um, it is. And, and the timeline is there as a tool. It shouldn't be seen as something that, uh, they have to follow directly because it's nothing more than a perception of history um and there are great events in there that everyone will expect and if they're not used that will be seen as a disappointment but it won't be seen as a surprise by many but i would very much like to see that yeah uh plus it would be the perfect way to let cetra be cetra while also then getting him off the like focusing the story elsewhere yeah it means (laughs) cetra's biggest issue is that he is a very big pair of boots on a very small map wherever he goes and the only way to get rid of those very big pair of boots is to either get someone else that's bigger which is normally how warhammer does it or alternatively to have those big boots move somewhere else and i think it would be nice for a change for them not to simply say aha and this person comes along and sorts out some Cetra, shows him what for. Oh, thank goodness for that person. The forces of good have won the day. Oh, oh, oh. that would also, be, I think, weak. It would be much better for Cetra's story to establish that, yeah, in many times in history, he has gone out and started conquering, but then inevitably the land of the dead gets invaded again, and it's just yeah. not able to protect itself, so he keeps having to go back home. And that's yeah. why he hasn't expanded very much. Uh, no was one of the first Total War ever chosen, if I recall correctly. What? In regard, quite sure what? what that's in regard to. Yeah. I'm um, sorry, Mr. Pig. Did we miss something oh, there? Please. Oh, no. Okay. He's talking about, okay. Sorry. He's talking about, there was a Total War Warhammer tournament where Central ah. won a chariot fought Codex Uneater. And that was, okay. Yes. I do remember that. That was a very fun, the tournament was called the Ever Chosen Tournament. Yes. I remember that. It was a great fight. Cetra won. It was great. Um, Dragon Emperor and Cetra meet egos reaching critical mass. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. yeah. A, like basically a god that thinks gods are dumb, meaning a man who basically considers himself a god. Not going to be great, <laughs> or arguably a man who is supported by the gods. I think that makes for a better meeting. That's quite that's fun, true. That's it? true. Uh, yeah, that, more that spicy. It, yeah, it makes it more spicy. I quite like that. Uh, all right. Um. Do I think Cetra and Vlad would hate each other or in their, uh, or is there room for mutual respect? That would be an interesting dynamic, especially because Vlad or Vashinesh is also a descendant of Cetra. Yeah. Um, so I don't think Cetra, they would have an interesting relationship. Um, Vlad is very clever in, in a different kind of way. Like Vlad knows how to play to people, which is how he took advantage of Otto von Drak. Um, so. I, I don't know what Vlad would do, but Vlad is diplomatic enough. He could probably pull off dealing with Cetra. Yeah, I, you just get a feeling that Cetra would start, the, the, it would start off bad. Yeah, it, it would start off very negative because Cetra's really negative. Um, and, of Nagash stuff is. Just... And would Vashinesh be able to turn that round? I think of anyone, he's definitely one of the ones who could. 
Um, but I think it would start off pretty bad. I think he's the only vampire that would have a chance of getting Cetra to come to a chat. I don't think he'd have a great chance, but he's the only one that would even stand a chance. Uh, which titles of Cetra are my favorite? Um, I think my personal favorite title... Uh, oh, gosh. Like He has a lot of really good ones, but my personal favorite as far as like... because. You have to think that each of them has a has a story behind it, right? It's not just like a random epithet. It's probably like, oh, there's a reason he's called this. Um, I mean, the funniest one is the begetter of the begat. That's a stupid title, but it's funny. Um, uh, no, I quite like that one. The one that I think would make for the most interesting story would probably, hmm, I think for me would probably be the probably the father of hawks I, I i know what it's referring to but i would like to hear the story behind when he picked that one up also the the mighty lion the infinite desert that's just a great one it's fucking oh good. damn that's it i was about to say that one was quite fun um i was just <laughs> looking at it there was like my, uh, beat him. <laughs> I'll, I'll just hang my head in shame at this side yeah whatever you go <laughs> uh Let's see. Uh, then we've got... Uh, okay, we're doing pretty good here. Uh, blah, 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 blah. Uh, who um, in... Oh, does Cetra see himself as a servant up. of the gods? I think this is a really good question. I think the answer is definitively no. Because he serves no one. Yeah. What he sees himself as is a representative of the gods. He is basically the summation of everything that they want. His action and his deeds are divine. He is a god king. He is not representing others as in, oh, they're working through me. He is the one that matters. Um, so, no, he doesn't see himself as a servant of the gods. Um, if, if you could argue allies, but I think in many respects, even that is a little bit too basic, a little bit too simple in terms of how he would perceive it. Yeah, he, Cetra is definitely the kind of guy that like would make sure, like tell his armies, Make sure you pray to the gods, but I don't think he himself would do it, if that makes sense. He would just be like, no, they know. They know what I wish, and they will back me up. That is our relationship. Um, It'll be interesting to see um, how that develops, because um, given that there is a strength of a, a wealth of potential content coming up for him, we might find that this adapts as we move through. Because Yeah, that, yeah his relationship could change. Uh, yeah, the, the, I'll the version, be interested to see where this lands. Yeah, the version they run with in Total War, a lot of his dialogue, he's very, he's kind of clever about how he talks in Total War, where he basically does what he wants to do and basically proclaims that it's in the glory of the gods, but the he's gods. doing it anyway. <laughs> that seems um, to match his character perfectly. Yeah. Uh, who in the modern era could face Cetra in a duel and potentially win? Uh, a fair number of characters, but like, because of the Scarab brooch, uh, he is pretty anti-wizard like a lot of the characters that you'd be like oh this character like would body slam him into the ground he would actually probably be very very dangerous to um but like you know your your big similar characters like crocar malekith who's now called malarian uh Tyrion could put up a good fight against him um if carl franz has all of his goodies he might be able to put up a fight though that'd be hard for franz nah carl uh, franz is going down <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, the green the Green Knight would be a pretty interesting opponent for him. Uh, Archeon, Colex Sun Eater, um, you know, you're really really big guys. You're big boys who are you know 
been fighting for hundreds or thousands of years and stuff like that. Are living descendants Cetra still around the old world? Oh, yeah, definitely. 100%. Oh, as I said earlier, he's um probably um significantly more prolific than many would be. He's probably the Warhammer World's version of Genghis Khan, where like yeah. a hilarious percentage of the world can draw their lineage back to him. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, let's see. Uh, would I want a new Cetra mini to look like his Total War interpretation, or is there another version I like GW to use? Uh, I love the Total War interpretation, but yeah, the Total that one would be fine. I would love to see it spiced up maybe a little more. There's a couple of art depictions of Cetra that are beautiful that were very far beyond the capabilities of modeling when they were made. Mm-hmm. Um, any of those would be very nice. Just something that justifies him being on a 100 by 150 millimeter base, which is fucking huge. Um, like, fill it up. I, w- I want that base to be... I want him to be like big on yeah, the base given the way that the um models are being sculpted today i would expect something particularly impressive for someone like cetera and if i didn't get that i would be almost certainly sorely di- disappointed even if the model was good this is someone who deserves a model yeah like his old his old model it's fine it you know it hasn't aged super great more because no, of horses hasn't. than anything else like cetera himself is actually okay yeah he's but- fine but um yeah no i would definitely love for him to get a new mini um especially because i like that tomb kings as gw has developed more of them they're more fleshy which they should be they're like they're mummies they're supposed to look kind of preserved um old cetra is a little skeletal for my liking um but uh anyway <clears throat> do i think cetra will be in the new Bretonia model uh i think he will appear in kind of like an epilogue i don't think he's going to feature heavily in the novel uh because we know it's more about king septet which is like his one of his big lieutenants. Um, so I suspect Cetra will make an appearance, but I don't think he will feature heavily in the story. Can Cetra take on Croak if magic doesn't work? Honestly, yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's ridiculous as it sounds. Yeah, very possibly. And like Croak's flammable and he has a big flaming halberd weapon. Yeah, he'd probably he'd be a problem for Croak. Which, oh man, uh next week we're gonna talk about the new Croak Lord. The new Croak Lord is really interesting. Oh, really? Next week? Are we talking about something in particular? I thought we were doing old, new changes to the old world next week. Are we? We haven't said so. Oh. <laughs> so, maybe we should say. Hey, next week we're doing changes to the old world. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, as you may have noticed at the very beginning of the stream, uh, we have definitely got big box sets full of gorgeous stuff that we're currently pouring through at a ridiculous pace. We have books to read, we have things to look at, and we have miniatures to be all googly-eyed about. And we thought it'd be super fun um, because it's all fresh in our minds. We're all getting our models just now for those of us at home who are collecting them for those of us who are buying the books you're getting your books just now and we thought it'd be super fun to dive through all of them and take a look at the changes that have been installed between the lord the obvious parts some of them Mm -hmm. perhaps less obvious parts so for example um just the other day we were having a discussion about some of the changes on the maps yeah and why maps yeah the timeline all the little like paragraphs and notes and stuff man you you will. You cannot wait for the map talk with Andy. It is a spicy <laughs> one. <laughs> I obviously have opinions, having done many a map in my time for Warhammer. So it's um. What's this? Why is this here? Where, where is this place gone? That's not where that is. <laughs> where is Kepress? If you have the Kepri in Road, 
Um, just can't help myself. Um, while simultaneously, I love seeing the changes because the changes bring new lore, bring new backgrounds, bring new stories. And that, that's what we're all here for. So I figured um, uh, after seeing that and us having our discussions that it would be a nice idea. Fortunately, we're all in agreement on that one. Um, I think, was it me brought? Well, maybe it was you yeah, that brought it, it up no, first. No, it was you that brought it up. It was me that brought it up first. Yeah. Can't remember. Yeah, we brought it up first. That'll do for me. Um, and I'm super looking forward to that because I love looking at how lore changes because it's often done for a good reason. It's often done because nobody realized there was an old lore. It's often done just because it made the best sense for the game at hand. And it's fun to pick through it all and go, oh, that's nice. Wonder why they did that. And Really? They did that when they had something else? Interesting choice. <laughs> yeah, it uh, may get spicy. We'll find out. I've still not read it. Yeah, and yeah, there there are some interesting oh. new factions in the world as well, which will be um, something to talk you about. You may have noticed Lindsay's comment there. For those of you who don't know Lindsay, Lindsay's my wife, um, and yep. she has written many a Warhammer piece of lore in her time and is also in our Warhammer streams. And uh, Lindsay has a lot of opinions on some of the Bretonian names some of which she doesn't just hate, she despises with a passion that is hotter <laughs> than the burning blade of Cetra. Such is her incandescent fury over a couple of syllables. Um, but yes, she's rather upset by some of the naming of the Bretonians. Let's see. Uh, Sir uh, Elder Scrolls, what did Cetra think of King Alcadazar? We don't know. Um, doesn't ever really seem to get brought up. It's likely that he was told about Alcadazar when he was kind of being caught up on everything that happened with Nagash. Uh, I imagine he was probably relatively proud of his descendant, but we don't get his we don't get his perspective on it. Yep, agreed, and I agree with that entirely. I imagine upon hearing it and everything that he did, he'll have gone, "My man, well done." That yep. is how you fucking kick the guy. He probably, probably would have been like, "I wish I could have done it myself." <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I I killed the gash myself. Uh, Sir Beardington, is there any other rule in their setting alive or dead to have earned Cetra's respect or recognition? I don't know about respect, but uh, he probably had an interesting view on like the High King of the Dwarves. He probably was like, eh, yeah, all right, you know, they got wealth, they got power. I don't want to mess with them because the dwarves are in their golden era at the time. Yeah. Um, so uh, but we don't have any specifics. I uh, think but- it's also very likely there were strong elven relationships um that have yet to be properly delved into. Yep. Uh let's see. If I recall correctly, the Hakarns were taller than the average human, how tall are etc. So that's another one of the carryovers from the, yeah. the Gash series. Um, the Gash the Gash- series. The Nagash trilogy paints the Hecarans as like superhumans, um, which they're not, because if they were, their skeletons would like tower above everyone else, and they don't. And they so don't. I would say that's one author's attempt to try and make Nehekara more magical than it needed to be. Um, maybe on average they might have been a little bigger. Um, I would suspect that's probably not the case. Uh, usually the humans in the north are bigger, and hell, pr- pr- like Harold Nakoff is massive compared to Nehekarans. And he's from like Norska type cultures. So no, I don't really think they're that tall. Um, really. Like some of them were. Like Cetra was a big guy. But uh, but like the vast majority of the Hecarans were probably just average. I think that's probably fair. I mean, in everybody's own culture, they've got things that they say are the best about said culture. And perhaps that was just one of the things that they themselves plucked upon um, uh, in comparison to perhaps some other historical people who were also very large that they were trying to outshine. You can bring some lovely potential stories out of it, but do I think it's an actual real world fact? Given the evidence we have so far, it looks like it's a novel fact rather than a, a Warhammer World staple that we have to stick by. 
Yeah, also, it just kind of feels silly to be like, oh, they were they were so much taller and grander than regular humans. It's like, no, they're they're supposed to be just people. That's that's the point of the story. Yeah, um, like the kings and queens were great and mighty, but like the regular soldiers weren't anything super crazy. Otherwise, they wouldn't be like strength three, toughness three, weapon skill two. <laughs> you know. Um. All right. Uh. Real quick here. Uh, given the chance, would Cetra, if your question starts with, would Cetra invade? The answer is yes. I, I don't need to finish <laughs> it. The answer is yes. That was easy. Yeah. Uh, if, could Cetra have another family after the one he sacrificed? He almost surely did. <laughs> I just have to bring up that comic because it made me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> just giant heads on, on their little bodies. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Good old skeleton sculpts. Oh, um, my goodness. Yeah. They're what is not Cetra's the tomb made out of? White marble um and because uh, okay you said something about gold and jade being great with magic is it a similar material is what nagash's tomb black gold so so it's worth noting cetra's tomb was not built with the intention of magical anything the the nekarans had a not great understanding of magic at the time they were still building it up and cetra's pyramid was meant to be grandiose glorious clean and beautiful and it's you know it's got like a gold cap on the top yeah, um, it's it's a classic, a classic Egyptian pyramid in yeah, terms Nagash, of what it would look like with its polished um, limestone and capped at the top of the pyramid and of gold. Yeah, um, with Nagash being the opposite. Nagash made an arcane fulcrum. Yeah. Like Cetra's was, I'm gonna die. I want to hang out. My death thing should be the prettiest fucking building on earth to show how awesome I am. Nagash's was, I want to draw in the winds of magic. So it had a purpose. Yeah, um, you, I mean, I don't want to dismiss um, Cetra's pyramid too much. I mean, it was to serve a purpose of a particular type, also in the afterlife. Yeah, just not, not of a magical um, nature. But it's it's a completely different setup. Um, it is entirely divinely inspired, where the alternative side is entirely arcanely inspired. Particularly, that's a fair magic. way. To, yeah, that's a good way to play it. Like Cetra's yeah. pyramid. If you ever like went inside, which oh man, if they did a woofer thing, that'd be so cool. If you could go on Cetra's pyramid, um, would be like full of fucking like all the god things you could possibly imagine, like sacred relics, caskets of souls, Ushapti, probably much oh, larger contrast than you think. Cetra versus the crown of sorcery. Oh, I love that one. That would be a really fucking fascinating story. I um, think that would make a beautiful story. Um, and I think Cetra I would think, not resist it or like he wouldn't be able to resist putting it on as far as yeah. what happens after that. That would be a crazy fucking story. Yeah. It'd be a really good story. And I think that um, answering it in many respects diminishes the cool story that you could have. I mean, sure. You could sum it up with a pithy, well, Cetra's will and stuff or Nagash infiltrates and stuff. But the actual story itself, I think would, would be that we're the winners if anyone ever wrote that because it would be pretty goddamn awesome. Yep. Uh Cetra prolonged his lifespan with mortuary cult, but when uh when did he so most sources that I've read, including the new old world stuff, seem to be heavily insinuating that Cetra doesn't learn magic until after he's resurrected. Um they they seem to very heavily imply that he specifically learns the mortuary cult stuff because of the whole needing to resurrect soldiers in order to have soldiers thing, which means that he does it after he's already undead, not before. Yep. Um, that, is, that is fair. Why didn't Nagash destroy Cetra's tomb or any of the other tombs when he was building his own tomb? Because Nagash is still Nehekaran. Um, That's still Nagash's culture. It's, it's, 
have to remember Nagash for until very, very late was still a person who had pride in who he was, his ancestry. He was of royal blood. He's a direct descendant of Setra. In a lot of cases, Nagash probably looked up to Setra very, very much and idolized him in many ways. Can you say the question one more time? Because I didn't quite catch um, it, I think. So he asked, why, when Nagash was ruling over Kemri, why, did he, why didn't he just destroy Setra's tomb and all of the other Tomb King's tombs? Why would be the better question. Yeah, like there'd be no reason for him to do it, is the real thing. I mean, thing. He, he's the king. To do that would be beyond sacrilegious. I think that would be quite beyond any of his um, considerations or thoughts at that point, at least. Yeah, plus, his goal would be to dominate them, not destroy them. He, he would not realize what a threat they were until Cetra was already undead and awake, and by then, Nagash couldn't even get into and the city. As it turns out, they weren't really a threat. If he could have seen his spell through, Nagash would have won by controlling them all. Um, it's just he got disrupted by some people who wanted him to die-die. Yeah. Uh, why didn't Nagash vehemently pers pursue the preservation of his body? Wait, what? Uh, so, mm, Nagash, if you're asking why didn't Nagash... Uh, Nagash didn't really do that. Okay, so if you're asking about Nagash specifically, which I'm going to assume, because it seems like you intentionally asked about Nagash... The thing about Nagash, he did not give a shit what he looked like. Nagash only cared about fitting as much power into his body as he physically could, which made him look pretty horrific. But, like, if he had, like, oh, made a body, like, implemented gold into his body, it would not have made him stronger. He took the optimal route to power. It's just that the optimal route looks fucking hideous. Yep. Yeah, that he had gone past past such mortal concerns it just wasn't an issue to him anymore um from ledger there light college and nehekara connections i Deep. think that is a fascinating question which is going to take far too long to sum up in a setra stream because it that's more general but i will say that the connections there are deep the connections there are tied directly through to um, a great deal, many different magical practices. Go watch our the, Winds of Magic stream. The influences of Nehekara on later magic practice. So, loosely, go watch that other stream. That'll give you some insight, but there is much that could be discussed there. All right, I'm just going to blast through the last one of these because uh, a lot of these okay. we've already answered. So, if, if you don't hear me ask your question, it's because we've already said something that basically answers it. So, Sounds good. do forgive me. Um, uh. Oh, okay. That's actually a really cool question from Elder Ooh. Scrolls. Would Cetra, why didn't Cetra ever consider the option of going construct route and having his soul put into some kind of construct? And the reason is because mostly arrogance and Cetra wants his own body. The, the Tomb Kings being put into a construct, you really don't want that. It, it seems to be kind of tied in with some kind of negative connotations where it can happen. It can be done. Like Kimrick Titans are said to have like entire dynasties sometimes entombed within them. But for most of the Tomb Kings, they 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 had a promise of their own bodies, and you have to remember that being put in a construct probably means you miss out on any like any sensations at all. Um, yeah. It's probably a very dry existence. Yeah. Um. No, he's Setra. He's he's not a construct. I mean, uh, it goes against not only much of the characters were presented, but it also culturally would be difficult, I think. Um, the idea of 
transfer. No, no, he said tra. <laughs> no. Um, yeah. I think no is the answer to that one. Yeah, potato salad. Could Cetra, ooh, could Cetra have become a god like Sigmar did? Who knows? That's a really fun question, but who knows? Um, I don't think he would have ever thought of it. Because, I mean, you have to remember, Sigmar didn't think of it. It was it was somebody else that made Sigmar a god, <laughs> technically. Johan that Nelson. is a super interesting question that can only be answered in truth by answering what is the Nekaran gods? What are they? What do they represent? What are their gods? And that in turn then answers what Setra considers for his gods as well. Um, I think the answer is probably given the nature of how their religion manifests, no. Um, the Gash went beyond um, Nekaran culture and went in a completely different uh he was basically a book burner, uh, a temple burner. He went in a completely different direction to what his culture demanded. Um, and that was all in the pursuit of ascension, ultimately, um, where Setra was quite the opposite. In fact, it would be very easy to make a reading of Setra where he's a devout and religious man who very much believes he is a representation of the gods, not someone who could become a god. That is beyond his consideration. Gods are just a different thing. As well say, I will become a mountain. As well say, I will become the sea. No, I won't become the sea because I'm bloody Setra. That's who I am. Representative of the gods doing my thing. So, yeah, you know, there's, there's kind of a funny thing of that. His arrogance is at such a level that I don't think he could consider himself becoming a god because that would imply he would have to become something greater than he already is. Yeah. Um, he's, he's already he, at the he, he would be like, no, that's ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, in the pyramid scheme, he's at the top already. Um, now, the gods may have made the pyramid scheme, but he's at the top of the pyramid scheme. So, yeah, I, I don't think he sees himself as leaving the pyramid, so to speak. Uh, etc. had drank the elixir of life. Yes, <laughs> he would have. Absolutely. Without hesitation. <laughs> yeah, that damn straight. He'd been all over that bad boy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this was um, making me laugh a lot, Phil. Yeah, the really big Nekarns <laughs> were <laughs> We we use the five inch template for these guys. <laughs> they had birth defects. Um yeah. but yeah, no, Setra would have done if there had been any route to immortality available, he would have taken it, no matter what. Oh, it was. yeah, particularly in his later years, he'd have been all over it like a rat. Yep. Uh total war. Uh, Cetra has the diplomacy line of you speak with Cetra, King of Kings, know that you are not worthy. Is he saying I'm not worthy of being in his presence? Yes. Like, you are witnessing something you are unworthy of witnessing, much less being spoken to. Yeah. I mean, he he, he considers himself beyond anyone else's petty concerns or gods or consideration. Damn straight. They're not worthy. Oh, here's a fun question. How safe or dangerous would it have been for a diplomat to meet with Cetra? Super fucking dangerous. I don't know. Uh, unless there was like a really specific cultural taboo about harding diplomats, which granted, you know, Cetra is actually usually pretty good about diplomats, actually. Okay. Um, given the danger that comes with unbalanced diplomacy, um, and it's enormous danger as well, there's reasons we have rules around diplomacy because uh, those who break those rules are shunned completely. And he clearly has made alliances in the past. He has clearly made agreements. And that would not come around if he was deeply unreliable when it terms to sending representatives to him. I think um, in his position as a just 
able ruler in his own head, if not in any of his people's head, um, then I think that he would, as long as they were respectful and as long as they did the right thing, um, according to whatever the cultural mores or situations are, he'd probably be fine, almost entirely safe, in fact. But I think if you were foolish, said something out of place, did something wrong, you're going to be in a lot of trouble because not only do you potentially receive the repercussions for this, but far more likely he's going to send you back saying that your entire people are going to receive the repercussions for your actions. So the danger mm -hmm. that lies here is not the danger to your own body and your own soul. It's the danger to all of your people, to everybody you know, to everybody you love. If you arrive to him as an ambassador, you're not just representing yourself. And it's not just your life that matters. It's literally everyone you've ever known. And that is where I think the true danger lies. So how dangerous is it? Enormously. But personally, I'm not so sure he's necessarily the person that you should be most worried about dying, well, killing someone in that direct yeah, instance. Yeah, really, if you were in a throne room with Setra, the person you probably really need to watch out for is Nakoff. Um, because Nakov has a whole thing about like Setra's honor is like his number one priority. Gotta do it right. Uh and there's there's stories about him killing people that like don't respect Setra properly. Quite. And I think that any um proper ambassador, anyone coming from any of the larger, oh, more yeah, you, established you would, you'd research uh, the rules. They will do <laughs> everything correctly. So they are, broadly speaking, going to be <clears> safe <throat> unless they're there to threaten him. And if that's the case, then on your own head, be it yet. Idiot. Yeah, moron. <laughs> yeah, they're um, just not a wise idea. Do either of you, uh, Great Fate asks, do either of you think there's room to add a harder satirical edge to Cetra and the Tomb Kings, or do you think the original satirical nature of Warhammer should be toned down for the old world? Um, uh, no, I, I do not think any satire should be toned down for the old world. I think, yeah, no, I, I think they should I, just try to embrace what Warhammer's kind of, yes, um. Fantasy has held on to its satire much better than all the other settings. Um, and to lose it would be to make some rather uncomfortable <laughs> choices. Um, when you start celebrating people who are not worth celebrating, when you start demonizing people who should not necessarily be demonized purely because they come from a different culture and thus must be wiped out, there is lots of issues with losing satire when it comes to something that is so bleak and dark as a potential setting um so i would generally say that yes clever writing with a satirical edge um and a and a, 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 an intelligent hand is going to be much better than just writing warhammer because it's warhammery in it yeah uh because otherwise we end up like a different type of setting that is published by the same company uh, <laughs> uh jiggy uh, uh, did Setra's uh, reign have diplomatic foreign policy yes um did Setra endorse exploration to find more possible uh uh Setra was like i said willing to do anything for immortality rumors myths of like you know the whole like bullshit about like oh a fountain of youth and uh oh this place gives you eternal life if you bathe in this pond like he would have been sending people to check out every fucking little scrap of myth uh, especially as he got older. Um, why didn't Nagash? Uh, okay, we okay. We've already kind of talked about all these. Uh, how did uh, Setra break the ogre clans uh, through sheer violence? Because he's fucking Setra. And to be fair, ogres respect violence. That is not a bad way to deal with them. There's a reason their bosses are called tyrants. 
<laughs> you know, there's not much eating on a skeleton. Yeah. Uh, but bone meal. But uh, I think I, I remember there being a joke about an entire ogre tribe going to the Charnel Valley because they want to get bone meal <laughs> to make bread. <laughs> it doesn't go well for them. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, um, we've already answered all that. Uh, oh, this is such a cool question. I don't think we really have time for it. But oh no, uh, the German asks, how would romance work in uh, Nehakarin, uh or Tomb King society? uh as the highest rank oh no he actually is asking about, oh man this is an even better question so he's talking about tomb king specifically so after death as the highest ranks still have all their personalities i could see them falling in love and having other kinds of relationships but certainly there would be difficulties <laughs> right so i disagree um and this may come as somewhat of a surprise our intellect is quite different to our body our body is driven by various urges and drives we need to eat we need to drink we need to have sex we need to form various types of relationships, even when it's perhaps against our good and better nature. Um, we are driven by our biology. When you remove that biology, we are something completely different. Now, are some of them still going to be passionate, angry, this, that, and the other? Oh, obviously, yes. But all of the biological drives that were pushing you forward are no longer there if you are a skeleton or a mummy, probably. Now, does that mean that they will necessarily be written that way? Not necessarily. Um, vampires, they still have so much of their bodily functions in place. And as we know, they are creatures of thirst. They are creatures of need. They are creatures of lust in a variety of ways. That is not the case for our good old mummies, for want of a better description. They are dead. Um, they've got all of their intellect. They've got all of their past. But the needs that they once had no longer exist. And they're probably somewhat shriveled away in more ways than one. So I would argue that if you want to keep them interesting, please dial into the differences rather than trying to make them the same as everybody else, because that makes the different cultures much more fascinating. And in many respects, it makes the Tomb Kings alien, difficult to deal with, and very difficult to understand for uh, the other species who are all deeply biological. And that's fun. Those differences and dialing into them is what makes the setting fun. So I would loosely suggest mm. I would prefer an angle where there was um, more focus on differences rather than trying to make everyone the same. That being said, uh, there are like one of my favorite examples that fits with what Andy was saying is if you ever read the Serpent Queen, um, which is a Go Trek Phoenix novel, there is a like a Tomb Herald character who she's hilarious because she, yes. after seeing Felix fight, interacting with Felix, she often makes comments something along the lines of like, if I was still alive, due to your fighting prowess and your skill at arms and tactics, uh, you would make a worthy mate and we should do that. And Gotrek's always like, ah, you should, you should, you should do something with that. And he's like, she's dead. And she's like, yeah, no, I like, I can't, you know, obviously I'm dead. So there's no point. And I don't really feel it anymore. But if I was alive, this would make for a acceptable match, which is, She's very analytical about it, which and is I've, a very I've funny perfect. comment. I love that. And it's also deep humor. And Gotrek and Felix, as we all know, is often dialing down onto the humor for the fun. Um, but yeah, I, I, I love so, that. Um, yeah, so yeah. what I would say is it would be very fun to explore the Tomb Kings who feel that culturally there should still be romance and there should still be all those things, even though they don't really feel it anymore. Mm. Um, but they're just holding on to like remnants of what it was like to be human like the tattered remnants of the very clothes they wear exactly that sort of fun um is what really brings these sorts of cultures to life 
trying to imagine a completely alien situation with a new alien mindset, but it is ultimately, in the case of this group of people, human in source. Much like the vampires are human in source, but they have come out in a very different place. And analyzing those differences is what makes those characters so much fun. Yeah, and the last thing I'll say is uh, some of the old older army books had some actually really fun little lines about some of the Tomb Kings handle mm. undeath better than others. Um, Listen, yes, intellectual. Yeah, that would. Uh, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Kalita Definitely. is a really good character to look into for that. Kalita has some really interesting dynamics. Um, yeah. Um, and also those there'll be some who um, will hate their new existence because they will have reveled in their existence before. There'll be others that much prefer their new existence. Some who, who will have, who will believe that their love is now pure because it's based upon what they definitely feel rather than the drives of their filthy bodies that used to push them in one direction or another. There's all manner of different characters that you can drag out of this interesting situation and then add the weight of age for some of them who may have been alive for a few centuries or perhaps even longer. It just makes for fascinating people rather than just yet more people who are identical to the last set of characters that you met. Yeah, like there, <clears throat> the last thing I'll say on that is uh, in the old lore, one of my favorite notes is there are some Tomb Kings that handle being undead so badly that they've kind of gone mad and they <laughs> basically act as if they're still alive because that brings them comfort to where they I still love that. eat food and they drink wine and stuff even though it has no effect they can't taste it or anything they just go through the motions because it makes them feel better and that's awesome <clears throat> as i say it's uh, looking at how it affects the psyche in so many different ways that would make them fascinating uh the dragon all this to say setra x nakoff honestly i wouldn't have i don't Cedric does not feel like a person that engaged in that kind of activity other than for a purpose, but who knows? Maybe him and Nikoff are getting it on behind the scenes. Who's to say? <laughs> um, what was life under like uh, Cedric when he was alive? Surprisingly peaceful um, in a lot of places. Like, good. It was as, good as, as long as, as you as didn't long break, you did break the law you or screw up. Yeah. yeah. As long as you were part of the machine, you were it was probably quite nice um mm. if you were on the lower rungs of that machine or you bucked mm. against it it was probably not a great time no uh okay last last couple questions here if nagash uh no we already talked about that we've got um a couple of left over here too uh is cetra a slave of the nehekaran gods or are the nehekaran gods the slaves of cetra i i love answering such questions with the elven answer yes Honest, as as unsatisfying <laughs> as that may feel, that is the correct answer to this particular question. Yeah. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Adam. Uh, if Andy uh, could write new lore, of, what would he like to tackle? Um, I'm I'm quite happy sitting on the outside watching in for a change. It's uh, really nice. I haven't done this for a long time. Uh, following a new no set no no, of no. he would he would write the lore of Kepris because it needs to be on the map. <laughs> fucking right, I would. I'd be right on fucking Kepris. Okay, no, stop. I'm, I'm Kepris. No, um, I would. Uh, I don't know. I'm gonna have to go through everything that the book presents first. I've purposely avoided reading. It. I've got it sitting down there as we already mentioned. I'm gonna go through the the core rule book first because that's what we're gonna be discussing next week. Um, and then after I've done that, I'll go through everything else that um there is. And almost certainly through the course of that, I will find some things that I'll go, wow, I really wouldn't mind getting my teeth into that. I might even adapt some of it and move it into my own games because we can't help ourselves. You see cool shit and you want to use it. So the answer is, I don't know yet. 
Oh, there's another one there from Still Loading. Tomb King's boning sounds like a horse trotting on wood. Thank you for that, Still Loading. Appreciate it. <laughs> that's that's an image I'm not going to lose. Uh, let's see. Uh, if Nagash raised everyone to ever die in the Hikar, does that mean Setra's original family was kicking about somewhere in the background? Not impossible. <laughs> Little kids going, thanks, Dad. Yeah, honestly, not impossible. Would they have been resentful for him sacrificing them? Harsh. Harsh. Um, but who knows? It's hard to say how they would have felt about it because there is probably a lot of honor, honestly, in that. Um, as fucked up as we may see it being. It's hard yeah, to say totally. how it would have looked from their perspective. Different cultures respond to things in different ways. Uh, let's see. Uh, what is the Tomb King power ranking as a faction compared to other Warhammer factions? That's that's such a bitch to figure out. Like all the Warhammer factions are vaguely equal if you really want to dial it down. In my opinion, um, they all have the strengths <laughs> and weaknesses. The newest one's the best. <laughs> yeah, whoever got the most recent army book. Um, <laughs> but uh, so I I don't really have an answer for you on that because it depends on so many factors. So many factors. It does. Uh, and also and also who's playing. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, ba, 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 ba. I'd imagine at least one of the dragon children would have met Setra if Cathay had an alliance. I actually really doubt it. I doubt any of the dragon children would have ventured to Nehekara as diplomats. They would have sent somebody else like Shukin Guns. And yeah, Setra would have never done a diplomatic mission to there. Never. Not in a million years. Um, Setra would never lower himself to being a diplomat. Not himself go no. Yeah, no, he like <laughs> he'd send other people. Yeah, sure, but uh, yeah, no, it I don't would think... require a very special situation for the meeting to occur. Yeah, I I don't think they'll they'll write it as they had ever met because it would be a very weird set of circumstances, especially because the dragon kids are you know, like most of them are gone anyway. Not most of them, less than half, barely less than half. Schwartz, AJ, is there anything in the lore for Tomb Kings bigger than a bone dragon, something approaching Tamarkan's size or larger? Do you mean like an actual Tomb King? Like like a person? That, or do you mean like all of them as a whole? Like there, like there are monster. constructs bigger than monster. the Bone Dragons. Like the Kemrick yeah. Titan. The Kemrick Titan is fucking colossal. It would yeah. dwarf one of the Bone Dragons. But then again, it's very possible that uh, because of the very nature of dragons and the fact that we never really know how big they can get, it's possible there's a huge bone dragon out yeah, there yeah, that yeah, hasn't maybe. been discussed yet. Yeah, so there could, there could be an emperor class dragon running yeah, around. Yeah, quite. Somewhere. So um, the answer to that is <laughs> as of to our cur my current knowledge, no. Yeah. <laughs> or yes, there's something bigger than them. What does Nakar do with the skeleton kids? They all sleep or just hanging out? There's actually a really morbid thing you could delve into there because the interesting thing is most children would not have been ritually killed they would have been grown to adulthood to serve whatever purpose or functions however when nagash unleashed the great plague and killed everyone, everyone and all those people resurrected you have to remember though those people didn't get burial rights so they would not have come back correctly um necessarily more than likely mm -hmm. so there's probably a really dark story behind that around theo asks is there any non-tomb king still alive from when setra was alive and met him if so what did you think of living setra um the answer is maybe i mean there might have been an l there might have been someone who was kicking around back then but there is nothing that's confirmed it, it would have to be an elf like there's no there's no dwarfs alive from then i mean the most the most likely option would be <laughs> 
couldn't resist. One day I'll say his name correctly. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it's it's very possible there was an elf diplomat in his court that met him that's still alive. That would not be out of the realms of possibility at all. In fact, the more I think of it, the more likely. Um, given the stories we have, at least as it currently stands, it's very likely that let's say Inarian's son would honestly, have been. Yeah, elves. Quite elves around there at some, some point. Depending on the elves' personality, elves probably would have find probably found Cetra to be kind of funny in some ways, like dark, but kind of amusing and kind of petulant. Like for a guy obsessed with immortality and then he only lives for 150 years. Um, I, I think elves can be kind of assholes to humans. The whole like, oh, they're mayflies and they only live for X amount of time and elves are just kind of dicks in general. Um, an elf's opinion of Cetra would probably not have been very high. <laughs> Other than he was an excellent general. He was an excellent warrior. But like, Man, was he so human. So yeah. human. Yeah, poor chap. Um, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Oh, another one from the Sin is that the Singe? The the Inga Meister? Singe Meister. Airbnb and Tomb Kings. Not good. Not good. Very <laughs> not good. Airbnb does not like the Tomb Kings. Did not help that Archon the Black came over and unleashed the wars of the dead on them for like a thousand years, where he was just blowing up cities and being a Arabians really don't like the Tomb Kings. Yeah, so I think there is a problem here because as it currently stands, it's very likely Cetra should have conquered them all by now. And he hasn't. <laughs> yeah, honestly. And there's he no hasn't. reason for him not to have gone across And the, the fact that he hasn't means that they have got some form of defense against the horrors that Cetra mm -hmm. can unleash. Um, which means, if anything, the relations are going to be even more sour because they should be conquered as far as Cetra is concerned. And the fact they're not is just another fly in the ointment. So, yeah, not good. Soured. Yeah. To be fair, you would hope if they've been fighting the undead for like thousands of years at this point, they figured out a pretty reliable method <laughs> of keeping them out um, somehow. Mm. Um, all right. Last two or three questions. We know Cetra has a habit of jacking English uh, shit who takes his stuff. And it was made from some incredible. It has made for some incredible stories. Are there any races slash civilizations you wish Cetra would go have to go show them who's the real bone man around town? Um, honestly, there's there's been some art pieces that have been made of like the Tomb Kings attacking an Imperial city because they like took Tomb King stuff and put it on display mm -hmm. in like a museum. I would love to get an actual narrative behind that of the Tomb Kings actually invading the Empire would be really fun and spicy. Um, like we've had plenty of green skin invasions through Blackfire Pass. Where's my Tomb King invasion through Blackfire Pass? That'd be fun. Um, but uh, honestly, for me, if I if I got to see anybody go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Cetra, or like Cetra attack somebody, and I would be giddy, it for me, it would probably either be... Uh, well, while you're mulling, um, I would like to see Cetra go down into the Southlands, so the Southlands are detailed, hand him his ass and we can know why hmm. that would be fun yeah the, the human tribes or just whoever lives down there yeah the the empires the kingdoms whatever we've got down there big huge spider jungle people whatever it is that they decide that they're going to do i would like to see some of that done because warhammer has an absolute dearth of diversity generally yeah, why what did warhammer his empire is... stop at the jungles like yeah. there's something there 
largely what Warhammer has done in the past is take other people's cultures and make them another species. And that is broadly unacceptable. It's time for them to expand and do something new. And I think it would be lovely if this opportunity was taken. Yeah, uh, I see some comments. Yeah, I, I think for me, Tomb Kings versus Grand Cathay would be something very special. Getting the big construct battles with like Terracotta Sentinels, training blows with Necrolith Colossi. Um, I probably wouldn't do it with Cetra, but like having the Mortuary Cult fight Grand Cathay would be very fun. Some fun in that, yeah. Um, like have man, have it that Grand Hierophant Kotep has gone to Grand Cathay to search for secrets and he's causing problems. That could be very enjoyable. Yeah. Uh okay, the last two questions here. Um uh Cetra has some of the most powerful artifacts in the setting. How do they stack up to the children of the old ones? Is that Smancy Scarab gonna be able to handle the hand of the gods? And so that's a really difficult to answer question that's um, a toughie <laughs> yeah it, the warhammer world does not tend to lend itself particularly well to comparisons like that um of like power scaling between very different factions that never fight each other um great cetras it's worth noting the scarab brooch is insanely strong his other artifacts they're okay like the the, the blade of Petraza. It's it's all right. We uh, missed one from Hammond. No, we didn't. No, we didn't. We didn't miss anything. <laughs> I mean, how could we miss that? <laughs> how did two kings breed? Uh, poor poor Lich Priest. <laughs> poor Lich Priest having to deal with that. Um, yeah, there, there's there's you know there would have to be if I wrote. A I, I'm pretty sure what you meant right was bleed. It was bleed. If right? I was gonna write a really dumb comedy, I would love a tomb or like a tomb prince and princess who are bothering a mortuary cult as being like, How do we conceive a kid? And he's like, You're dead. And they're like, No, no, but how? And he's like, You're fucking dead. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> I'm a king. How <laughs> I want more sons. You can't <laughs> make it work. Yeah. Um, anyway. Someone said the real answer. Just yeah, to be there sure you go. That we definitely do it. There we go. Um <laughs> But, we uh, all knew it. Yeah, I will <laughs> Thank say you for sharing it. The scarab brooch is really the only artifact Cetra has that I think is sorry, brooch that I would say is <laughs> like S tier. His other stuff, like even the chariot of the gods, it's, it's cool, but it's not like and that it's it's because it's literally the most powerful remaining god in a pantheon exerting a incredible amount of effort on reality to kind of like. It's almost like a reality stabilizer because it's basically just making it where magic doesn't work, um, which is a very powerful concept. But like you compare that against some of the absolute horseshit stuff the Lizardmen have, and it's <laughs> impressive, but it's very small in scale. Whereas yeah, the Lizardmen are throwing high. around some shit that is just bonkers. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> How does Cetra view the living? Uh, it's very heavily implied that Cetra, he would never admit it, but he's immensely jealous a lot of the time of the living because Cetra mm -hmm. wants to be an immortal living person. He does yeah, not enjoy out being undead. He's got an outcome in mind, and that outcome in mind is to be immortal, not dead. And then our last question theoretically, how would Cetra and the Nehekaran Empire have fared against the Elven or Dwarf Empires at the time? Not well, in my opinion. Uh, because the elves, well, actually, the elves might have struggled because they just did the sundering. So they actually probably would have been in a not good place. The dwarves would have smacked his ass. They were in their golden age. 
like yeah. full golden age before the war of vengeance the dwarves would have been in prime position to deal with cetera yeah um the dwarves would have made a very poor enemy to make the elves also would have made a very poor enemy to uh, make uh, regardless of how weak they may have been their magic is extraordinary their uh, capabilities are yeah. at almost their peak also and for all the vortexes dimming everything down for everyone else it's their fucking vortex pardon my french so i i think it would have been an unwise choice and indeed there are no strong indications that there was significant battles between them if anything it appears to be the opposite um the empire run by cetera expanded without dealing with them and that i think makes a lot of sense and speaks to his strengths as a general now yeah, will we he... rewrite that possibly it's very possible that cetera will meet an elf during the course of the old world that he's already beaten or been beaten by before in the past because they can do that um well... and they can just rewrite the past if they wish to do so that may occur yeah we we do get to see cetra's forces fuck up Tor and rock it does not go well for the elves <laughs> mm. but the biggest thing to keep in mind about the elves is that they're a naval power and that is like Cetra's biggest weakness is non-land warfare the second he has to go on boats he tends to struggle a bit it's a funny one isn't it you know given that they don't need to breathe they can just do a whole host of things well yeah to be fair <laughs> though if the boat sinks then like What's he going to do? Just walk yeah. towards you? <laughs> but, but he's not actually lost any of his troops. True. But, you know, it's it's an, it's an interesting one. How on dead wage war yeah, is, uh, it's an is interesting scary, one. Though. Oh, well, it's yeah. Old One. Old One floats. It's not like the undead can walk to Old One. They have to sail to it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, they're, they're SOL. Yeah, uh, it's the, a funny Old One. Yeah. Anyway, uh, that is it. That's all the questions. Are we done? We're done. Um, that was fun. I enjoyed it immensely. Cetra's a great character. He's yeah, very, Cetra. very fun. Um, and he's incredibly important. You know, we kind of talked a little bit about like Cetra is one of the I, I don't we've probably said this more times than we should, but Cetra is really one of those characters who is the he is a kickoff point, like he is the first domino in a series of events that like caused the end times and brought the world to the way it is because set because it's not even nothing really set up to cetra it's like cetra is the first domino that causes nagash which causes vampires which causes undead which causes sylvania which causes cetra is the first domino yep um cetra it's all his fault um and he's still around <laughs> um and uh i love the character um i do repeat that i feel that the character has been somewhat underserved um to begin with the the original characters presented in the fourth edition of the army list wasn't underserved because that character wasn't as developed but as the editions passed by and cetra grew bigger um the stories that cetra then had to justify that didn't quite match his extraordinary reputation and his extraordinary capability so i'm super excited by obviously this um, and that also nicely leads into what we're doing next week, which is discussing all the changes in this um, and exactly where it goes uh, next for us all. I'm really looking forward to that. Malarian the Dread King. <laughs> Malarian the Dread King. Malakith is gone. The king is dead. Long live the king. 
Um, yeah. And all of the little changes, some of which we will like, some of which we will be nonplussed by, and others we might have a somewhat spicy take on. Some things will be incredibly minor and no one else in the world except for us will care about. Other things, other people, you might be out there going, I hate that. And we might go, no, actually, we think this rocks. Generally speaking, mm -hmm. if you haven't guessed already, both Sotek and I are kind of fans of Warhammer in all of its stripes. And that means that we've already, a long time ago, come to terms with the fact that Warhammer is about as consistent as the ocean. Yes, it's one big thing that we can say is an ocean, but then you realize there's multiple oceans and they all flow through each other and it's constantly wobbling up and down and there's tides and things changing all the time and storms and ah! Loosely speaking, Warhammer changes. It's just yeah. what it does. And I'm super looking forward to seeing what the changes in this particular box set and all the rest are going to bring to the table. Because for me, the changes are, although it might be a somewhat spicy take, the changes are what makes it exciting for me. If it was all the same, it was just the regurgitated lore that I knew already. I'd be like, yeah, I'm kind of regretting spending my money on this. I already know it all. <laughs> Alternatively, and I go through it and I find a name and I'm like, but they're dead. How the hell are they there? Or alternatively, where has the giant town that used to be here gone? That is what gets me going. Um, and obviously the new lore overwrites the old lore. It's always been like that with Games Workshop. Um, but for me, as a fan who tries to make everything work together, who tries to make it all still work even when the changes are put in place. It's those changes that drive that because without those changes, I'd have nothing to do. So I'm super excited by hopefully what we're going to be discussing next week. I have no idea what I'm putting myself in for. Um, and let's see whether we both rant and rave or whether we're both <laughs> super, super complimentary and love every last moment including Malera Kithion, I, the man. I am predicting, based on what I've read, I think we're going to like 85% of it. 10%, I think we're going to go, that's interesting, but weird, but okay. And then 5%, we're going to go, ah, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's always the 5% of ah, fuck, isn't there? Yeah. That's, that's going to be the fun part. So, um, as always, if you've got any questions about the Old World box set, if you've got one of the Old World rules, the Old World new armies, or anything else, go drop them over on Sotek's channel over on Discord. If you're not a member there already, why? Because hmm. that's yeah, where we do all our pre-posted questions. Yeah, also, real quick, just little things. Uh, if you're here, please consider hitting that like button. I would really appreciate it. It helps kind of spread the stream around so that more people are made aware of it and can check it out. Uh, also, if you haven't subscribed, please do. Uh, I would appreciate the support. I would like to, I would really love to get, it's not probably not possible. I'd love to get to like hundred K this year. hundred K that, that, that's, that's um, the goal we're all going for. Just think of hundred K. Make sure you go check out Lawhammer, which are back. Uh, they yeah. just did a stream this past Friday. It was marvelous and really fucking disgusting. To be honest, um, it was sweary. It was oh my goodness. Gross. Um, don't eat when you're watching it. But uh, go uh, subscribe to Lawhammer because uh, we're very close to 5K, which will be an awesome threshold to cross uh, because that's when I'm going to release a quick head taker lore video, which is going to be super fucking long. And it's all super fun and awesome stuff. So, any you got anything else? Um, uh, yes, I am going to say thank you so much. Um, we've opened the year in such a marvelous fashion. Um, we... We get together every week and we always wonder, I wonder what's going to happen. And it's always an absolute joy. And it's not just a joy because we get on and we get to talk about shit that we really <laughs> love. It's a joy because all of your comments, all of your questions, all of the things that come up mean that we end up going in directions that we never expect. 
And we always, at the end of our streams, have a quick chat afterwards going, well, holy shit, wasn't that awesome? Who'd have thought about this thing? And I'm really glad that came up. And I'm really looking forward to seeing what this year brings because this year, unlike our previous year, um, when we started doing this together rather than Sotek doing a stream by himself or with others, um, this year we've got ourselves a wealth of new material coming, not just for Warhammer, but from Games Workshop directly for Warhammer, which gives us a wealth of new, exciting things for us all to talk about over the course of this uh, year. And I'm I'm beyond excited. It's going to be awesome. And yeah, that's it, I think. Yeah, Always nice to share. Look, it's, I'm, it's, I'm excited. It's going to be cool. It's like, oh, Warhammer Fantasy is a tabletop game, and now there's a new roleplay game coming out, and this other thing, and this other thing. It's What a time to be alive. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Thank you all so much for watching. Uh, we hope you enjoyed the stream, and we'll see you next week on Andy's channel. We will be oh, on, yes, on my channel live, next we'll week. Be on the Lawhammer channel next week, of course. So, of course, same time, same place, place. <laughs> for that. I guess. Lord Thomas uh, said, "My channel." That's the same place. All right. <laughs> Thanks for Run! watching. Please, well, I... we didn't see anything. Bye, Cetra's